2: post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today a happy friday to you everybody um Glad you could join us. It is just a game. I am uh, me, you are you. Uh, everybody knows everybody, so we're ha- and everybody's welcome here. It is an inclusive podcast. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 territory. Um, we started the week uh, talking about how a sporting event can bring a country together, and, and we saw that um, last week in last the RBC Open. Um, we end the week unfortunately talking about how a tragedy Uh, brings a nation together. Uh, we, of course, it doesn't seem like enough. It almost seems hollow, but just letting people know, uh, in Manitoba who have family, uh, in the Dauphin area, anybody that may, uh, be connected to the tragedy that took place on the highways yesterday. Um, we're thinking about you. Um, we will help. We have to help. That's what we do. Um, but it's another uh, moment in time in which uh, our country comes together and and helps each other and um, just reminder again, like we need it. Nobody needs it, but how precious life is and and uh, and uh, another opportunity for us uh, to tip our hats and and thank first responders. So anybody that's uh, listening to this podcast, watching the streaming today, or whatever, if you get a chance. You see a fireman, you see a police officer, you see a paramedic, you see anybody that's a first, anybody that in that line of work, the work they do, please thank them. Um, and again, you know, we're here, we know we'll come together. We always do. Uh, but thinking about our friends in Manitoba today, um, some, since we last spoke, uh, Again, credit to Danny Austin and Cami Kepke for coming in and continually raising the bar and, and forcing me to come back and do better shows than I can. Um, and today, I think I got a good one for you. T- today, I think I got the show of shows um, because I got my. If I was, if I had to pick, if I, had, if there was a draft of NHL insiders and analysts, and I had only two picks, uh, it would go one two the way it slotted today. Uh, The legendary voice of the Calgary Flames, Peter Marr, will join us. Eric DeHatchik will join us. Um, So that is the show. It will have a heavy, heavy hockey-centric, Calgary Flames-centric feel to it today. Uh, But I will point out that Danny and Cammy are coming back in on Monday, and then I'll be back for Wednesday, Friday, next week. Just for no other... Please, please, please do not interpret uh, my absences as disinterest or anything like that. I'm just uh, quite the opposite, actually. Um, I'm just blessed right now to be um, very busy um, with uh, work on my uh, on my consulting side, and and very and very lucky to have access to to Danny and Cami who who can come in and and carry the show for me. So that's all it is. Um, and then once we get past free agency, we might slow her down just a little bit for the summertime because you do too. We all do, right? Uh, that's a Calgary tradition. Uh, but having said that, we've got some uh, busy, busy days ahead in the hockey world, of, of which we will share with both of our insiders today. Um, and we'll get to our first one momentarily. I'd be remiss if I didn't just start off on two things that I want to mention. Uh, tonight at Winsport, and again, I, I, I full declaration of, of where my interests lie. I, I do work for the Calgary Surge, uh, building out the community programming. But I have to tell you how much fun I am having because uh, I do go to the games and I help out wherever I can, but um, just watching basketball be embraced by this city—the energy, the, the, the just the passion that people are showing—seeing um, familiar and the same faces coming to all the games is is amazing. Um, and I'm a convert. Uh, if you haven't, if you've heard about this FIBA tar- target score, um, this FIBA tar- target score is is incredible. So uh, the last. Uh, or pardon me, the first, uh, break with four minutes left in the, in the fourth quarter, they add nine points to the, uh, the highest point total. So whoever's leading, they add nine points and whichever team gets there, uh, wins. And, um, it, it was the Vancouver bandits and the surge on Wednesday. Um, and at one point I was talking to Jack who was there and it was in the fourth quarter and Jack, the surge were down 20 points. Yeah right? You had written them off. I you? had written, thank you, Jack. Yep. Thanks, ready to Jack. Go home. I was ready to go home. I said, Jack, it's done. They'll never come back. And what happened? They came back. They, they led, they led at one point. Yeah. They did not win, but they led. But am I, have I said anything out of school? No, it, it's a fun atmosphere. It's a, they're good athletes. It's a, yeah. it's just a, a good overall product. You should be checked out.
3: Yes, it definitely should. People
2: get out there. Uh, I mean, don't take RJ. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Don't take our other producer, RJ, who's not here to defend himself, uh, who didn't have much basketball training, I guess would be. Yeah. Wanted to know why there were so many penalties. Penalties, penalty shots. Yeah. Um, didn't like the coaches walking on the floor, wants boards put up. Well, I didn't like the Vancouver coach wearing jeans. Yeah. That, like- that, that, I don't know why. I usually, that usually doesn't bother me. But that, that kind of bugged me. I <laughs> yeah. don't know why, it just bugged me. But it was fun, right? Yeah, tons of fun. People and you come back, out. right? Oh, for sure. There you go. Sure, if, you, sure. if you cannot trust Jack, who can you trust? So Jack says go, go. Um, tonight and then on Sunday as well, Sunday afternoon. The other thing I'll mention, and then we are going to get right to our guest, and, and he's going to talk about it too. Um, I was a little caught off guard, a little surprised that Jerome McGinley is the special assistant to the general manager. But it makes sense. I'm I'm happy for Craig. I I know Craig and and I know how Craig works, and um, bringing in Jerome. Ah, you know what? The heck with it, because. Uh, Uh, Pete's going to say it way better than I can say it. And he knows exactly what I'm going to say. So I'm just going to do this. I'm going to let you know our next guest is brought to you by the Ski Sellers. Ski Sellers.com. Ski 76 years in our city. 76. All the way back to 1946. 76 years in our city. One location right now. Four four locations in the winter. One location, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. We do bring in the seven-time Hall of Famer. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the greatest that's ever done it. Um, Peter Marr joins us. And Pete, I, I was going to just step all over myself and talk about Jerome McGinley and Craig Conroy, but I'd rather you do it because it'll come with a, a greater sense of authority and purpose. But this is, I like this. I mean, it, why wouldn't you want Jerome McGinley? But I like it because of the, who the two guys are. Because there are going to be some really heated conversations because those two have really heated conversations.
3: They do, and then they walk away smiling at at each other, having solved the problem or potentially solved the problem. No, I think it's outstanding that Jerome is coming back into the flame fold as a, as the executive assistant or assistant to a special assistant to, uh, to GM Craig Conroy. I think it's just an absolutely outstanding, outstanding decision on the part of the team. Now he's not going to be able to be here on, on a full-time basis this year. He's going to be coaching his son's team in in Kelowna. And uh, then I'm, I'm almost certain that after this year, he'll be on full-time here with the flames, but knowing Jerome, I'm sure that as often as he can get to be around the Flames, he's going to do that uh, this coming season. And he's going to be very, very helpful to the the management, to the coaches, and to the players. And I think just having him around the players is going to be a real positive uh, influence. Uh, You know, going back to the, the fact that I was able to have the privilege of seeing him play every game that he played with the Flames, every goal that he scored and all of that stuff, but even more so seeing how he reacts off the ice. I mean, he, he was available for interviews after every single mm-hmm. game. The Flames could have lost a game 10 nothing. Jerome would stand out in front of the media and, and do an interview. It didn't matter whether he had a good night, medium night, or a bad night. He was always available. He's always had that, uh, I know, talking to players that were around him, that in the dressing room, he was a very serious guy, but uh, but he has that upbeat, personality about him, but I think it's going to be very infectious to the uh, players on this flame team when they see how Jerome is and how, how accessible he is to fans. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many times that uh, when the flames were, were on the road that mm-hmm. uh, the bus would be held. He, he would, uh, he would come out of the hotel 10 minutes before the bus was to leave or maybe 15 minutes before to leave to sign autographs for the fans that were in front of the hotel where the team was and he'd come out there and sign them, get on the bus. And sometimes the bus had to leave a little bit late while Jerome signed those. He would do that after games as well. And uh, the night that really stands out for me was the, uh, was back in 2004, the night the flames won the Western conference uh, championship or whatever it was called then beating a uh, San Jose in game six. I remember Rob, you and I were doing uh, with Mike Rogers and others doing the post game show in the, in the hot stove lounge. And we went on there for about an hour and a half. And I remember going outside after it was raining, but there was Jerome in the middle of the parking lot in the back end of the saddle dome where the players parked their cars. He was surrounded by a bunch of kids. He was not only signing autographs for them, but he was asking them questions. How are you doing in school and things like that? And, uh, you know, that was a night for celebrating. And I'm sure that Jerome eventually caught up to his teammates but he had time for these fans and to sign autographs and ask them questions and that sort of thing on a night when uh, it was a big celebration for the, for the team. So, uh, And also, you know, the way he played the game is going to be something that's going to be very helpful to the Flames. So it's outstanding he's back in the Flame organization. You know, you have to wonder if um, maybe more of Flame's alumni will end up being part of the, the coaching staff. But, you know, you've got Alex Tanke as his coaching history. And he and Jerome also are pretty good friends. Uh, mm mm-hmm. They were line mates with the Flames earlier on, and also another guy is Mark Savart, who uh, played with Jerome back in the early '80s before he got traded. He has a coaching experience, so uh, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what's going to develop here with the Flames. But having Jerome on board again, it's just absolutely phenomenal.
2: So, so two things. One, I, I just sure. I, I want to try and thread a bit of a needle here, Pete. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call on you for a little bit of help with this. When you talk about how Jerome um dealt or w- would make himself available to the public it's important people understand he didn't seek that out that was not what he did and and if he was probably you know given sodium pentothal he'd probably tell you that oh i, I really don't want to you know I, i'd rather just go be that,
3: uh,
2: am i saying it right way pete like he yeah, did it well, because he absolutely was absolutely
3: right he's the he leader want, of that team. the spotlight. Yeah. He did not want the spotlight, but he knew that as being one of the top players on the team, and especially after he became captain, that it was uh, a necessity for him to be available to the media. And we've had players in the past, not only with the flame, but a number of teams not even talk to the media after games, even if they're captain of the team. Uh, when things haven't gone wrong. But Jerome always was there. I mean, he yep. never never tried to hide or anything like that. And it wasn't because he wanted the publicity. In fact, he probably would have been better if he did in the back room of the dressing room, uh, changing and uh, showering and getting ready to go out for the, for the evening. But he always made himself available and was always one of the last flame players to leave uh, the dressing room because he always did some off-ice work after games as well in the Flames uh, training center. Uh, in the uh, in the dressing room but you know he did never want a charity he never wanted uh, the publicity but he knew that it was incumbent upon him to be there to speak out on behalf of the team uh, yeah. uh, when uh, the team won or lost or tied a hockey game so uh, he's he just an outstanding outstanding guy and um, and he, he, there are times I've seen him be a bit shy but he knows that you know it's important he knew it was important to him as a uh, as a character to be accessible to the media to the fans and all of that sort of thing. It was uh, he was the only he and Lanny McDonald pretty much are two of the only players that I ever saw. And of course, I was with Lanny when he was in Toronto, and here when he was with the Flames, they always would hold up the bus. All well, these guys signed autographs, uh, even though the team was scheduled to leave at such and such a time. There were players, there, there were fans there that wanted autographs, and those two guys always signed them all. So now we got both of them in the organization. Lanny's not on the on the management group, but he's part of the flames alumni, very prominent and very prominent around the saddle Dome all the time. So I think this is going to be really good having another addition, Jerome McGinley being in the crowd as well.
2: So now i got a third point. So let me go to the third point and I'll come back to the second point in a second. The third point was I was ecstatic that they recognized the alumni in the room, which they've done before, but I was ecstatic when Ryan Husker was introduced that the alumni were there. They were, they were mentioned. They were part of the story. Huska talked about meeting Colin Patterson. And I was uh, later informed the next day by Colin Patterson that uh, a 11-year-old Craig Conroy met Colin Patterson too. So Patter was an early influence on both the head coach and general manager of the Calgary Flames. But it, it made me – I like it, Pete. We've got the best alumni in the National Hockey League and and that and the, they should be front and center with this this group.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the Flames alumni, I, I mean, I'm probably being a little bit biased here, but I believe the Flames alumni is the best organized alumni in the entire National Hockey League. I mean, Edmonton, you hardly hear anything about the Edmonton alumni. In fact, when they try to have some of these softball games and golf tournaments in the summer in Red Deer and invite the Flames alumni and the Oilers alumni, there's a lot more Flames alumni there than there are Oilers alumni. So it's a real tribute to how positive and how effective the uh, Calgary alumni has been not only in supporting the current team, but also in the many, many things they do for the various charities uh, exactly. throughout the city of, of Calgary and surrounding areas. I mean, there are all kinds of things that don't get much publicity, but are helpful to various organizations and charity groups within our city on behalf of the Flames alumni. They just pick it up right where the, the Flames hockey team also is very active in, in giving out uh, giving out uh, donations and, and helping out in charities and that type of thing. And the alumni follows right through. And the alumni is always there. If there's a guy on the team that wants to talk to an alumni guy, they always make themselves available to go in there and encourage them to help make them better or anything that question that they would have. So, yes, it was very nice of uh, Ryan Husketh that day that he was announced as coach of the team. To recognize the the Flames alumni and the many of the guys that were there in the background, the media, of course, were always in in the front as it should have been. But the alumni guys were in the back showing support for the naming of the new Flame coach who was up on the podium there with the uh, the new general manager Craig Conroy, who's also, of course, a member of the Flames alumni.
2: Um, okay, so now I'll go back to the point. My second point, um, because the title is the same. When Craig Conroy retired, he became special assistant to the general manager for Jay Feaster. Is that the blueprint for what we should expect for Jerome? Because Craig did a little bit of everything, didn't he? He was on the ice for practices. He went down to the mine. Now, you've already established he's, you know, year one, Jerome's going to be coaching his son in in Kelowna. But do we expect him to kind of have those, you know, roles in all the different departments to try to get acclimatized?
3: I would, I would guess so, Rob. I, I, I would think that he's going to be very active in that sort of thing with, with the Flames, even going on the ice with the players, following pretty much in the role that Conroy did when he was uh, appointed about 11 years ago to that uh, the same position, special assistant uh, to the general manager. He also had some other titles there. But he, and uh, I think the same thing is going to be done with Jerome, and I think that's going to be extremely positive because Jerome, as I was mentioning earlier, the character that he is, it's going to help rub off on, on some of the players. And he can also show them some of the little tricks that he had uh, when he was uh, playing the game. So I expect him to be, when he can be, be around the, uh, be around the team, and uh, and um, and be very, very uh, on the ice, off the ice, and also probably go down and check out with the, the minor or the minor league team is here in Calgary, so he doesn't have far to go. He doesn't have to go all. very far, no. <laughs> so I expect him to be very, very active in, in all areas with, uh, with regard to the team, uh, time permitting. Now, obviously this year, he's not going to have as much time as he will have in the future. I, I firmly believe he's going to have a full-time job here after this season. But uh, as you mentioned, He's uh, coaching his son's team there in Kelowna, and I think that's going to take the number one priority. But I'm knowing Jerome, I know he's going to get here a lot more uh, than you might expect, uh, even though he has those other uh, other uh, potential other situations that he's dealing with in Kelowna. But, uh, but I know him, he will be around this team quite a bit and will be most uh, most helpful. I'm, I'm sure he'll make the odd road trip when he can also, and that will be another way for him to show, uh, show the players how they should act and, you know, have a little bit of pointers with them, always in a positive vein. I
2: I do like to show attribution wherever I can, but I have to apologize to our peers because I can't remember who got the quote from Craig Conroy, but Conroy talked yesterday about having someone in the room that will push back. And I thought that gave a little insight into what kind of leader he is. And by pushback, I mean, if they're talking about a player, you don't have to agree with me, push, push me on it, push me on it. And, and I always think that that's a, and I think Brad true living was that way. I, th- I think, and I think Craig Conroy is just maybe picking it up from him, but I thought that was a little insight on what to expect in an administration run by Conroy is there will be healthy debate.
3: Yes. And I think you're going to see a situation where uh, coach, uh, coach Huska and coach Conroy will have a lot more uh, interaction than, uh, mm. than Daryl Sutter did with, uh, with the, uh, Grad traveling, particularly in, in the second season here when uh, when there seemed to be a big fallout there along the way in the interim, not only between manager and coach, but among the players, I'm still... I'm still a guy that felt that some of the players should have been able to put out a little bit better effort to at least get themselves in the playoffs, uh, even though they had their difficulties or disinterest with the coach. But anyway, that's that's gone now. So they're going to stepping ahead in a new forum. I do expect Conroy and Huska to have a chat at least, you know, once, at least once a day. Uh, and, and probably more than that to discuss things. Uh, you know, the manager makes the moves to get the players, but he always generally always goes to the coach and says, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Uh, do you think we should this make this deal or make not make this deal and that sort of thing? So I think we're going to have a lot more of that. And also, you're not going to have a situation where you're going to have the players involved in that sort of thing. But I think there's going to be more uh, conversation between the coaching staff, management, and the players on the team. And I think that's going to lead to a very positive uh, atmosphere with the, with the flames, and hopefully that carries out on the ice uh, to have uh, have a team have a great great success uh, this next season. So uh, I, I kind of like the positive upbeat with the people now that are around the team in, in, in the high managerial positions, starting with uh, Maloney and Conroy, and now again was in there, and there's a whole bunch of others in there who are also uh, very well uh, adapted to having that type of atmosphere. So uh, I think it's all positive the way things are going right now for the for the Flames.
2: Pete uh, last weekend and early part of this week belonged to Ryan Huska. He becomes the 24th coach for the Calgary Flames. Um thoughts on on Ryan Huska what you what you heard from him, what you've seen from him so far, but also, you know, going with a, a first-time NHL head coach. Lots of time in the yeah. liners, right? But
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh you know, I don't know him very well. I met him a couple of times, had brief conversations with him. But uh, he struck me as very, uh, you know, a very positive, uh, upbeat kind of guy in those very short uh, sessions that I had with him. Uh, My only thing, and it goes back to something we talked about the last time we was on the show, is that where you're promoting an an assistant coach into the head coaching role after Daryl Sutter has been the coach. And uh, we all remember, well, at least you and I remember, and I'm sure, sure a number of other people do as well, uh, when Daryl stepped down as coach to concentrate being fully on, on general manager in 2006 and appointed uh, Jim Playfair as the head coach of the team. Jim had been the top assistant or associate coach uh, with Daryl for the number of years that he was coaching uh, the flame team. And then when Jim came in, of course, he, he was the guy when he was uh, assisting uh, Daryl who would go to the players and have to pat them on the back after and build them up again after Daryl had kind of knocked them down a peg or two. And then of course, Jim came in as coach and and he didn't have the same approach as Daryl. He wasn't nearly as hard on them as Daryl was, but he had to have a str- stronger stance on them. And I, I know there were players on the team that came to me and said, we don't know who this guy is. Last year, we thought, you know, in the year before that, we thought um, that uh, he was, um, he, he was a, a nice guy, a good guy, our friend. And now he's in here, and he's you know, yelling this, yelling that, and not in a you know and that sort of thing. So yeah. that's the only thing I'm a little bit concerned about. And I know Craig Conroy was part of that team in 06, 07 He came back to the Flames late in that season, so he would have he would have seen some of that atmosphere that was there with the team. And of course, after after uh, Jim had coached the team for one year, uh, he was uh, replaced as head coach, and uh, Mike Keenan came in as the the head coach which was another move was not particularly great but uh you know then jim went back to being an assistant coach of the team and he was the guy that was basically drawing up the game plans for the for the team and mike was the guy that was uh you know i had players on the team come to me and say mike keaton knows nothing about hockey yeah. and I, you know I, I said to say well gee he's won a stanley cup and he'd been to the final like four times or whatever it was they said he doesn't he all he does is he badgers us all the time and not in a badger Johnson type of way. No,
2: (laughs) no, 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 no.
3: And, uh, but anyway, that, that's my little uh, thing that I'm a little bit concerned about, but uh, hopefully that's not going to be the case here. And, uh, but this guy has certainly earned his right nine years in the organization uh, with the farm team. And then the last five years with the uh, flames. So he certainly, uh, he certainly has earned the right to be a head coach uh, in the, uh, in the national hockey league with this team, giving his uh, yeoman service to it, and I'm sure that uh, it's been pointed out to him the things that happened in the past uh, with regard to what we talked about there earlier uh, when replacing uh, Daryl. and uh, and I'm sure he'll be cognizant of that once he starts greeting the players when they uh, when he probably meets with them either by phone or or Zoom or personally over the off season here, and then when they get here for training camp in September.
2: I I wonder, Pete, how much a difference it makes that. It's a different, it's Daryl moved up and became general manager and Jim moved under Daryl. In this case, you know, Craig comes in and Ryan moves up. I wonder if that has, you know, if that's kind of different or makes any kind of difference.
3: Yeah, it does make it a little bit of a difference for sure. No question about that. Because Daryl was always around, and he probably, he probably was pushing Jim a little bit too to be, uh, you know, a bit of a hard guy with with his players to get the maximum out of them. So that's not going to be the case this time. And yeah. as we talked about earlier, he's got some very positive people in in the management group there that uh, are going to be encouraging him as he as he goes along. So, uh, you know, perhaps he won't have a similar situation to what we had in, in 06, 07 uh, with this uh, type of coach. And, uh, you know, you hear the commentaries from some of the players now. Uh, um, uh, Anderson, yeah, Rasmus right. Anderson, certainly yeah. has had some interesting comments about when uh, Huskiss was coaching him in Stockton in the American Hockey League or wherever it was he was coaching him. And uh, he, was, he was not in shape and, and all of that sort of thing. But the Flames had high hopes for him. And uh, Huskers took him under his wing and was very hard with him. And But he you know he taught him how to be disciplined and how to get himself into shape. And he's become one of the, the top defensemen on the team, if not one of the top defensemen in the NHL uh, when going forward. I think this guy has a tremendous potential. So you don't know, have that as a positive uh, situation. And the guys that, that he worked with uh, last year and the year before and the year before that uh, on the coaching staff, uh, the other players on the team all seem to uh, be very high in their praise of uh, the work of uh, Ryan huskiss and the way that he approached them and the way that um, he, he handled things uh, as a uh, assistant coach with the team, particularly the defenseman, which he was primed for and penalty killing and uh, uh, that type of thing. So. Uh, You know, there was all kinds of positives out there right now. And now you get into training camp, hopefully it will stay that way. I mean, there's going to be some times when he's going to have to be tough on them, but that's all part of getting the maximum out of players. But um, hopefully it doesn't have a negative effect on them.
2: One of the things we can expect is there will be a captain on this team uh, in this coming season. Um, I don't get a vote. I'd like to see Michael Backlund become that captain. Uh, But since the last time we spoke, we found out that Backlund, one of three finalists for the uh, King Clancy Award.
3: Yeah, and very worthy of that. Uh, You know, uh, hopefully he will win that award when they have the presentation in Nashville the next week or the week after. Yeah, Yeah. And uh, he certainly is at least uh, deserving of it for his entire time. You know, I was here when he first joined the Flames, Mm -hmm. and even then I knew how uh, you could see how much of a person uh, he was uh, with regard to um, looking out for others. And he's done an awful lot of community work in Calgary, and I'm sure you probably know more about it than I do, Rob, since (laughs) I've been on the sideline from that sort sort of thing, or at least not as active as I used to be. But I'm sure you can vouch for the fact that he's made himself available for so many great charity events helping out other people. And I know he helped me out as a broadcaster from time to time. There'd be some issues that, uh, nothing major, but, you know, you'd ask him about something, and he'd be very helpful with that. And from what I can gather, was also uh, continued on doing that in his uh, last uh, bunch of years with the team as well. And, uh, you know, the fact that he won the award named, uh, as a good guy award, named in my honour, which I don't know why they call me a good guy, but anyway, that's another story for another day. But uh, he, the uh, video voted him as the co-winner of that award this year. And uh, as they say, uh, he's a guy that's always been another guy, like we talked about Jerome, as the guy that always made himself available to the media, uh, win or lose. So hopefully he can get that King Clancy Award and follow in the footsteps of Lanny McDonald, Joe Newendyke, and uh, Jerome McGinley, who are past flame winners of that uh, King Clancy uh, Award. And, uh, you know, I got to know King Clancy quite well when when, uh, I was working play-by-play with the Maple Leafs at that time. Uh, King Glancy was uh, kind of the uh, the right arm or left arm of Harold Ballard. They, they would go everywhere uh, together. And uh, Clint King was a very, very positive, fun, offbeat guy to be and always a giving guy. He, could, he was another guy that was always available for charities, for fans and all that, that type of thing. And uh, so the adapt that they have this award named after King Glancy and hopefully um, Michael Backlin can have his name on that trophy next week.
2: Well, for the record, nobody asked me, but I was going to suggest uh, the Peter Mar Bonesaw Award, but they
3: didn't, <laughs> nobody asked me.
2: Um, just on Michael, uh, he he and his wife, Frida, really, in, in many ways, have picked up the gauntlet that uh, Mark Giordano and his wife, Lauren, put down and, and others. And that would go all the way back to Lanny and, and Ardell. Um, they're both so giving uh, uh, one of the one of the friends in the groups that I work with. Uh, Parachutes for Pets, they've absolutely been uh, incredible and, and have been the biggest ambassadors and have done so much for them. Uh, Special Olympics, he's always, always, always at Special Olympics events and hosting uh, Special Olympians. Uh, but I pers- again, you have personal stories. I go back to my first uh, Control F camp. He was our first guest, and he came out and signed autographs for all the kids at the camp and took pictures and everything like that and did it with a smile. and Just exactly what we were talking about with Jerome you know, 20 minutes ago. So the, there is the, there is a through point there, I would say, Pete. There is a through point.
3: Yes, there's no question about that. Uh, he, he is deserving of being a finalist uh, for that award, and hopefully he can edge out uh, uh, a couple of other guys there. But, uh, Undersley
2: Anderson, and... and... Anderson and, Lee and uh, uh,
3: yeah, those are the two other guys. So hopefully he can edge them out and win the award. Of course, we can't speak much for those other two guys, not being around them, but we can certainly have high, high praise for the uh, work that uh, Michael Backlund does above and beyond the game of uh, hockey and very uh, deserving of at least being a finalist and hopefully the winner.
2: Um, Busy times ahead for the Calgary Flames. A a lot of we're in that crazy season, Stanley Cup finals over. We'll get to that in a second. But ahead of the draft, uh, we know about free agency. We know about free agency next year. So we're already talking about players who aren't free agents this year but could be next year. Pete, we're starting to hear some Flames names in the news.
3: Yeah. And I think uh, there's going to be some resolutions to uh, this situation. I would say in the near future, Uh, you know, the flames have seven players who are going into the final year of their contract. So they can be, uh, they can be given extensions. or can be offered extensions and if they want it or uh, they can sign them. And if not, then it's going to create a big decision within the flame camp. And you talk about Michael Baxton; He's one of those players yep. in that group. Even though he's played his entire career with the Flames here, uh, there's no guarantee that uh, he will be a flame forever, although it would be nice if that, that could be the case. Uh, Elias Lindholm is uh, another uh, centerman. Uh, who is in that situation. And he might be the the prime one right now because the team is really anxious to uh, have him signed to a a long-term contract extension. And, uh, you know, at the exit meetings of the players, um, he was a little bit tentative as to whether or not uh, he would be returning. And I think what needed to happen was get the general manager in place and then get the coach in place. And then you can approach the players because then at least you know what your your staff is going to be. And I think that's important in uh, those guys determining whether or not uh, they want to come back to the team. So uh, hopefully those uh, uh, signings of Conroy as the general manager, and even with Jerome coming into the camp, and then, of course, Ryan is as the coach, they're certainly aware of them. And uh, now at the fact that the GM, the management team, have to go after them and find out just exactly uh, what these guys feel with regard to having contract extensions. Others in that group are, uh, there's Toffoli and Dubé and Hannafin, Tanev and Zadorov. And, uh, you know, if these guys are not going to – if you offer them all deals and and they don't agree to them and uh, won't sign, uh, then I think you've got to move them now. Like, Mm -hmm. you have to move them in the summer, like either at the draft or soon after that to get full value for them because some people will say, well, why don't you just wait and see how things are going at the trade deadline? The problem is you get to the trade deadline, if the team is in a good position in the standings, going to make the playoffs, you start trying to make moves, and you you really hinder the – uh, chemistry on the team and the team then could go backwards and, and not have the type of finish that, that you need to have. So and I think there's more value can be gained in return in making moves for these guys right now. I think Lindholm right now and, and Hannafin are two guys that uh, they can probably get a pretty good return for when you consider the free agent market for this year with regard to high name players is not nearly mm-hmm. as good as it has been in, in the past. So if these guys are available to trade, uh, there's going to be a number of teams that would be uh, be interested in, particularly those two guys and even Toffoli after uh, the outstanding season that uh, the he had uh, this year. So I'm sure right now the Flames management is busy uh, trying to get those things sealed up uh, as they get set to head to the to the NHL draft in Nashville.
2: Yeah, and, and I know there's a report today from Pierre LeBron in the Athletic, and and he is reporting that Noah Hannifin is has uh, no intention of extending his contract and. Now that explains why his name is out there. Um, I don't know if that, you know, the fact that he, you know, won't extend if that hurts your leverage or or whatever. It's too bad because I, I like him as a defenseman. He's certainly, you know, he's still young. Like he is still a young defenseman with a lot of experience. And Elias Lindholm, those are the two names you brought up. If you don't have Lindholm, all of a sudden you become very thin down the middle. And, uh, you you know, finding number one centerman in this league are not easy. And, you know, I think Lias Lindholm is a number one centerman. I don't know if he's, you know, in the top 10 or however you want to debate it. But for the the Calgary Flames, he's definitely a number one center.
3: Yeah, no question about that. No question. Uh, I think they've got to try their hardest to get him signed. Uh, I would say the same thing for Hannafin, but maybe not as much. But Hannafin would, of course, be a big loss to the team. And it it sounds as though that he's not going to be willing to assign to a a long-term agreement here. So if that's the case, and you're hearing his name out there quite prominently in the last few days in trade speculation, Uh, but Lindholm is a guy you definitely, you know, the Flames do have a number of other defensemen uh, on the roster and also within their system uh, that are going to be around for, for training camp this year. So it may not hurt as much to lose him, although I certainly would like to keep him, But Lindholm is a guy you've really got to, really got to focus on and try to convince him to stay here with uh, this team. Now, you know, in addition to the management coaching staff, that situation all being settled and Lindholm can make a decision with regard to that. The other thing is that Lindholm, I think has to be, uh, has to be in his own mind, confident that this team can be a contender for the Stanley Cup. And uh, you know that I'm sure his agents are um, very quietly going about seeing what other teams are interested and within that group, uh, and seeking to um to see if maybe down the road, that might be a better team for him to go to that would have sure. a better chance for the cup. So the flames, in addition to having management and coaching staff in there that maybe is acceptable in home, have to convince them that the team itself is going to be a contender, and uh, and not only for this coming year, but for the years beyond that as well. So it's a real sell job that has to be done to con, uh, convince him to remain here with the team. But as I say, if they can't do that right away here now, between now and the end of the month, uh, then it's time to move them on for sure.
2: Um, outside of Nevada, uh, I would suggest that this was a um, somewhat of a disappointing Stanley Cup final or you know maybe forgetful stanley cup forgettable stanley cup final um but vegas wins it six years into the league credit them um and they and they do it with some original players um they do it with jack eichel who that becomes a really incredible story now right this the guy behind connor mcdavid who was injured and buffalo didn't want him to get you know the the surgery that he got um a lot of credit to this vegas organization peter
3: yeah, there's no question. They did a, they did a wonderful job uh, putting that team together. And, uh, you know, they made a whole bunch of changes. Even the first year they're in the league, they get to the final. Then after that, they, they make a whole bunch of other changes and, and augment their lineup. And, you know, they took a gamble on Eichel. Where, you know, the Buffalo didn't want him to have that surgery. They wouldn't endorse it. So he did it on his own. And, of course, then uh, a number of other teams were a little bit uh, leery of signing him after having that, uh, that major surgery that he had. Uh, but Vegas was willing to take a chance on him, and he turned out to be one of their top players in the uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, it's another interesting aspect of it, and I think I mentioned it the last time I was on, is that there were more Canadian players on the Vegas team than any other team uh, that was in the uh, in the playoffs. And uh, when I was making my uh, bold prediction on the Stanley Cup final, I had to decide between uh, Matthew Kachuk's Florida Panthers or those many Canadian players that were on the uh, Vegas team. So I hedged toward Vegas, and it turns out now I'm right at eight of the uh, eight of the 16 playoff series that we had uh, this year. So um, uh, I didn't have a great record, but at least we got the final right. And, uh, you know, it goes back. You know, Rob, I was talking the last time I was on here about uh, the uh, this deal about just get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm starting because I always was under the impression that you have to have a good team. Even if uh, to uh, to have a chance to win the Stanley Cup, and Vegas winning the Cup kind of steered me back into that direction that I'd rather have a team that is really good rather than the team that just makes the playoffs. Now there is exceptions where teams that just make the playoffs can one and win the Stanley Cup, as uh, St. Louis Blues did in uh, 2018, and uh, the Los Angeles Kings did with uh, Daryl yep. Sutter as coach in 2012. But very very rarely uh, does a team that's not among the top eight or ten in overall standing in the NHL in the Cup. And this past season, Vegas finished fifth overall, the number one team within their own division, and ultimately they went on to win the Cup. Now, Florida, of course, was an outstanding Cinderella story, the fact that they barely get into the playoffs. In fact, they had one less point than the Flames had, but they got themselves into the playoffs and then uh, went on a tremendous run, uh, upsetting three teams and getting into the final before uh, they just they kind of had nothing left. Yeah. Uh, to defend against a team like Vegas that was so deep in in depth, both on forwards and defense. And, of course, they win with a goaltender from Calgary, who was, I think, their fourth string goaltender when the season started. So uh, definitely an incredible story for the uh, Vegas team to go on and, and win the Stanley Cup. And I'm starting to think if you're building a team, build to win. Don't build to just get in. Now, if yeah. you get in, you'll take it. You'll take it, but I think you've got a better chance to win it all if you have one of the better teams during the regular season.
2: Yeah, I, it, it's an interesting conversation, Peter, because I, and I, I love the Aiden Hill story, but, yep. again, not a guy that anybody thought about at the beginning of the year as a difference maker, but he finds himself no. there, and he, and he is a difference maker. But we were always told, you, you build a team from the goaltender out. Like, it is one of the craziest things that people are going to forget is that Jonathan Quick now has three Stanley Cup rings? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, I forgot all about him, and then he's on the ice getting his moment with the Cup, and I'm like, holy cow. (laughs) Remember how mad he was to go to Columbus? Like, they pissed him off, and then the Columbus flips him to Vegas, and now he's got a Cup ring.
3: Right? (laughs) And Vegas only took them as goaltending insurance because they were having all these injuries to the other guys and were fearful right. they might have more. And right. he ends up being a guy on the ice lifting the Stanley Cup above his head, although he didn't didn't play in the in the uh, in the final or any of the playoffs, I guess. But he was a member of that team after being basically the Kings gave up on him and Columbus gave up on him. So, uh, but he, yeah, another really amazing in, story.
2: But did he not have an incredible run until Calgary knocked them off during the regular season? Wasn't he? Didn't he? He got hot, Jack, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he came in and played a bit, I think, and then the Flames. Yes, he did. Yeah,
3: he did have a good run there. You're right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. When he get in there, had a real solid run there of, of victories or 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 uh, yeah. non losses. So, yeah, he he was playing really well when he went there, and it was hard to believe that L.A., who was in a playoff run as well, even though they had another goalie that was better, playing better than him, didn't keep him around just in case. So, I say you, you just never know about these no. things. And, so, no, it's, and you always say, you know, the team that has the best goaltender is going to win the way it went this year. Not necessarily. So,
2: but right. I don't know if this is, uh, is it 2010? The niamey uh, no, is it ne- uh, Leighton and who was the goalie with Chicago? Was it Nehemi? Uh, and they, and then they, Crawford, and they Crawford? no, no, it was before Crawford. Oh,
3: so, before, Ch- before you Crawford.
2: remember the two that was Chicago and Philadelphia, it was Michael Leighton in Philadelphia, and I want to say, anti that was the anti Niamh, right? In that Stanley yes, Cup yes, final. Yep,
3: it right. Yes, yep, yep. And then yep. they
2: walked away from Niemi. Like they that's walked right. away from him. He ended up in San Jose that year, right?
3: That's so, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so you just never know about these things. You know, You, as you say, you can win saying, well, the team with the best goal is going to win, but sometimes that's not always the case. So there's always really strange the- things that develop. Depth That's on why the they play line. the game, Rob.
2: That's why they play the game, Pete. Depth on the blue line. You can never have enough depth on the blue line. <laughs> um, we are uh, about a week away, too, from Hall of Fame now, uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame selections, correct?
3: Yes, next Wednesday. The group gets together in Toronto, the 18-member panel, to um, select the uh, 2023 20, candidates to be inducted into the, uh, into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, of those 18 voters, um, they have to have 75% of the vote to uh, gain at least 75% of the vote to gain entry into the Hall of Fame. So it's going to be interesting to see how things go next Wednesday when Lanny McDonald, of course, who is mm-hmm. the uh, chairman of the, uh, the Hall of Fame, uh, will be in there making phone calls to the uh, people that have been selected for the Hall of Fame this year. And, of course, when I look at it, I look at it as two guys with the flames that I, I think have been overlooked a number of times now. Uh, and uh, hopefully this time they get the call. One of them is Mike Vernon, two-time Stanley Cup winner, winning with the Flames here in 89, and also winning uh, with Detroit when he won the Conn Smythe Trophy as MVP. He could have been the MVP of the um, Flames win in 89 as well, Mm -hmm. as I understand it. he lost by only one vote to a teammate, Al McInnes, uh, when the Flames won that cup in uh, in 89. And, of course, the other is uh, Theo Fleury, who I believe now has been rejected 11 times, by the, the Hockey Hall of Fame. To me, I, I always had a strong feeling that uh, Jerome was worthy, or sorry, Theo was worthy of the, uh, of the Hall of Fame, but um, uh, he was overlooked uh, But when all these times. But the year that Paul Correa was elected into the Hockey Hall of Fame, that's when I became totally convinced that Theo belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, He has better credentials. Nothing wrong with what Paul Correa accomplished during his career, but Jerome's credentials are much better. And uh, nonetheless, he's been been overlooked. In fact, an interesting interesting stat here is that um, of the players in the NHL who played over 1,000 regular season games and also over 100 playoff games, the only player, there are 11 players in that group in the NHL. And the only one of that 11 that's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame is Theo Fleury. Hmm. So uh, hopefully that will be on the table when they meet in Toronto next Wednesday and take that into uh, consideration. It seems like this is going to be a year. They haven't selected many goaltenders uh, to the Hall in recent times. Last year they had Luongo yeah. uh, come in as a, as a Hall of Famer. And many are expecting that uh, Hendrik Lenquist could be a first time a first ballot mm-hmm. Hall of Famer because he's eligible for the first time this year, so that's a possibility. And other people are also pushing for uh, Curtis Joseph to uh, get into the Hall of Fame, and uh, as I mentioned, we've got they've got Mike Vernon, uh, you know, a guy that's been overlooked several times as well. So those are the ones that I'm looking at that have a the, have the opportunity on on the uh, flame situation. And also among the forwards, I think it's about the time they uh, they had Alexander McGilney into the Hall of Fame. He's been rejected 14 times now, and this is a guy that had a remarkable career. Now, one of the... I don't know if this is a fact, so I'm going to preface my comment with that. Some people have suggested that the reason why he's never been elected to the Hall of Fame is that he won't go to the Hall of Fame ceremony. Now, I don't know, as I say, if that is true or not. Even if it is true, I don't think it's a good reason not to uh, induct him to the Hall of Fame. He certainly has the credentials for that. Others that will be in the running, I'm sure, are Pierre Turgeon, he's been rejected 12 times. Uh, you've got uh, Hendrick Zetterberg, most valuable player in the 2008 in the Stanley Cup playoffs, cup winner several times with uh, Detroit. Uh, Rod Brindemore, the coach of the Carolina mm-hmm. Hurricanes, is a player that I think has a shot at getting in. And, um, you know, a guy that's on the ballot for the first time, there might be a possibility, it's another former flame in Jay Bomeester. Uh, this is a guy that uh, mm-hmm. he's a triple crown winner. He's won a world championship. He's yeah. won a Olympic gold medal, and he's won a Stanley Cup. So it's uh, going to be real interesting to uh, see what comes out of that. And, of course, on the women's side, you've got uh, Jennifer Botterill, who we see often on, on television on the uh, Sportnet uh, coverage. Uh, she is the three-time gold medal winner in the Olympics and also has got the five gold medals for the world championships, twice the most valuable player. You've got Megan uh, uh, Duggan of uh, the United from the United States who uh, won seven uh, world championships with the US team and of course there's Carolyn willette a three-time gold medal uh, winner uh, from uh, for Canada so it's going to be real interesting there among the builders uh, you might have a guy that might be a former flame assistant general manager David Poyle that uh, mm-hmm. could be uh, in the yeah. running uh, he's, he's retiring now as the uh, general manager of the of the uh, national Predators, and when the flames came to Calgary he was the assistant GM of the flames to Cliff Fletcher and he had served with Cliff uh, a number of years in Atlanta as well. Then he went on to be a general manager in uh, Washington and then general manager in, in Nashville. So he's been around the NHL for about 40 years in a managerial situation. So I think he would be a, a guy that could get himself inducted as a uh, as a builder. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if not, maybe not this year, but down the road, that the uh, Flames majority owner, Murray Edwards, is a guy that's considered to be for the building's role in the Hockey Hall of Fame.
2: I think he will be because of his work in the, you know, the, you know, the creation of the CBA. Right.
3: Uh, yep. You know, and,
2: yep. and, and the, he guided the last two, did he not?
3: Yes, he did. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've yeah. got a real strong feeling that if not this year down the road, Murray's going to be a guy that's going to be inducted as a builder.
2: And, and I so. know the hall of fame is always a, a hot topic and everybody's got hot takes on it. Pete, am I, am I close? Like I'm here, I'm listening to you talk about uh, Poyle and, and I, I believe that. Absolutely. David Poyle should be there. What about Al McNeil?
3: Yeah. Al would be a guy considered, um, you know, he's been around the game a long, long time. Uh, he's a Stanley Cup winner as a coach with the uh, Montreal Canadiens, And, uh, he, I think he won, I don't know how many American hockey league championships he won as a, as a coach when he was handling the, uh, the Canadians farm team there in, in Nova Scotia and uh, coach for uh, you know, coach coached the Atlanta flames um, as well as uh, Calgary flames. And uh, I would think that he's a guy that would be in the, in the, in the running uh, from that, in that uh, coaches category. Although, you know, there are some others out there that would argue that Mike Keenan should be in the hall of fame. Yeah, a few oh, other yeah.
2: guys there. Sure. But, no, I get <laughs> it.
3: I get it. You know, so that, you know, but you know, Al certainly has put in his dues. Um, you know, he's been, he's still around the flames. And even though he's not in a – I don't think he's in a a managerial capacity, he's still in there advising management coaches and and that sort of thing and has been doing – you know, he's been part of management here since the Flames came, which are either a coach or in management or around the team for 43 years, plus the other history that I talked about earlier. So I think he should have his name up for at least conversation uh, among that group when they uh, meet on Wednesday.
2: Yeah, I I wish he would because – And I, I, you know, part of it is it's not the NHL Hall of Fame. It's the Hockey Hall of Fame. And he's had an incredible impact on the game as a coach. You can probably tell this story better than I can. But did he not also play a fairly large role in Al McInnes's development too?
3: Yes, he did. Very, very much. I mean, when when Al McInnes came to the Flames, he was a first-round draft pick and had some great, great credentials from playing in the Ontario uh, Junior Hockey League. But his conditioning wasn't exactly the greatest. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to say that in the very least. In fact, back in those days, the physical testing that the teams had <laughs> was the players running around the Stampede Park racetrack. Yeah. And the day that Al went or the day that Al McInnes went out there, or the players with Al McInnes, the first time he went out there, he couldn't finish that run around the track. And he'd be the first to admit that to you. But then, of course, Al McNeil was part of the flames at that point. And, of course, Al was from Nova Scotia, Al McNeil, and Al McInnes, also from Nova Scotia. And Al McNeil took Al McInnes under his wing. And very soon after that, a year or two after that, he became one of the top condition flame players every time they came to training camp and in no trouble racing around the racetrack at uh, Stampede Park. So that's how much of an influence he had on making Al McNeil, uh, on making Al McInnes a hockey hall of famer. And, of yeah. course, a uh, Stanley Cup winner with the Flames, winner of the... Uh, the Conspice Trophy is the most valuable player of the uh, playoffs. He certainly had a lot to do with that. And very quietly, had a lot to do with a lot of other players mm-hmm. on the Flame team, This is, you know, a little bit of pointing this out, pointing that yep. out, and uh, making them better players. So, uh, And with the Canadians, the guy too. guy that should be under consideration.
2: Yeah, And with the Canadians, too. He was around Guy Lafleur as a rookie.
3: Right. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. So he was he was around an awful lot of good players that he groomed in the Montreal system. In fact, the very first hockey game that I ever broadcast, Rob, was at Old Memorial Gardens in Campbellton, New Brunswick, in 1971. Mm -hmm. The uh, the Nova Scotia Voyageurs came to uh, Campbellton to official opening of the uh, renovated building. They had renovated it, and they came in for the official reopening of the building, which had been renovated. That was the first game that I broadcast. It was the Nova Scotia Voyageurs against the local team, the Camelton Tigers. Al McNeil was coach and general manager of that uh, Nova Scotia team, and uh, his top player, his top defenseman was Larry Robinson, who after that would go on to play in the uh, National Hockey League. So uh, I I well remember that night, that time, and, um, you know, but halfway through the game, Al had to loan to the Tigers had to trade some of his players to the Tigers to get the game close. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> little things, that you don't
3: was know a nightmare. Now you got five, 10 players going from one team to the other, 10 go to the other team. So anyway, that was a, a funny little uh, anecdote from, uh, from my first time actually got involved with Al McNeil was back then in 1971.
2: See, I love and stuff. And later like...
3: he'd go on to be, you know, great things with uh, the Canadians and so on.
2: But I love stuff like that, Pete. Like people yeah. nowadays, sports is so buttoned down. But can you imagine, you know, the Calgary Wranglers are going to go, you know, up to Bentley and play the Generals or, you know, go to Brooks and play the Bandits or something like that, you know? Yeah, or, yeah. or, or like the Cannons, like the Mariners would come and play the
3: Cannons here, right? Like, yes, yes, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Th- I love that yeah. stuff.
2: I wish we yeah. had more of that stuff, right?
3: Yeah. And it's sort of the little, uh, little nuances of the, not nuances, but particularly outstanding little things of the game that those people haven't ever heard about. So, but do yeah, you, no, that was a very interesting time. Do you remember the King and his court speaking? of Yes, baseball. I do. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep.
2: I, I was thinking about, still
3: around? I think there's, uh, no, they're not still I'm thinking of the basketball team, but you're talking about the softball team. Yeah. I'm talking yes, about yes. the
2: softball team, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was thinking about him and Max Patkin. Remember the old Clown Prince of Baseball and he'd do the minor league circuit. I know he'd come up to Edmonton and do a Trappers weekend or something like that, you know, and he'd just goof around at first base and stuff. Like, I I miss that stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's outstanding. I saw them uh, once... I uh, saw them perform. And, of course, the Herman Gold Trotters have seen sure. many times a few times as well. But, yeah, those are all unique things. But, yeah, that, that was pretty amazing uh, back in those days when they had uh, that softball team come around or fastball team come around and play these local teams and so on. So, yeah, no, those are all real mm-hmm. little tidbits of the game.
2: And they're fun. Unfortunately, our last yeah. story is not fun. Um, tough, uh, another tough week in, in the business that you and I love.
3: Yeah, Rob, you know, we are re- seeing the news on uh, a couple of days ago that 1,300 people were, uh, were let go by Bell Media and, of course, six radio stations uh, that were owned by Bell Media. They're no longer in, in operation as they close them down completely, including the uh, sports station in, uh, in Edmonton, uh, 1260, and, of course, a Funny Naya, 1060 here in, uh, in Calgary, which is a station that I didn't particularly uh, listen to very much or often although I did, yeah, I did listen to it a few times a couple of years ago when my granddaughter was doing traffic reports on that uh, station in the afternoon. So anyway, but, um, but a uh, very, very sad day to have that many uh, people in the, uh, the media business lose their job stations, totally uh, out of commission now, not even in operation, others being uh, shifted around in, in uh, platforms and, and that sort of thing. It, it's really, really sad for radio. And, um, you know, this is a, uh, business that I grew up listening to. I can remember many nights listening to the the radio, listening to hockey games, listening to Danny Gallivan on the radio mm. broadcasting Canadians games, a uh, Foster Hewitt uh, broadcasting Leaf games, and even getting Boston Bruin games uh, on on the radio and baseball, and uh, New York Yankee games on on the radio. Um, and and uh, you know, then getting into the business myself and having the uh, having the opportunity to work as many years. I think it was quote I think forty. It is 48 years I worked in the radio business. When you consider when I started back in my uh, my hometown, when I was still going to high school, uh, doing uh, doing the morning and afternoon sports there, and without you know without that I wouldn't have had the uh, the career that I had. And now to see so many uh, and this is not the first time there have been reductions made in the sports world here among broadcasters. We've seen it happen uh, both in radio and in television over the last little while. And hopefully we're not going to see any more for, for a long, long time. Uh, but it seems like that's the way things are going. And, uh, yeah, it have to be interested to see now if Rogers, which has some stations here in Calgary, whether or not they might be following uh, suit and hopefully not because you and I know a lot yeah. of people in the radio business here that, uh, that are gainfully employed doing outstanding jobs there. But you, you can notice now the trend, um, you know, many of the, the broadcasters, uh, be it radio or television, uh, are doing podcasts now. Uh, some that are out of the business, such as you are, Rob, now into, a, into this podcast, doing an outstanding job with that and gaining more and more recognition uh, as it goes. And other people, you know, some of the television people that we see on, on Sportnet and TSN, they have podcasts going on now. So I guess they're kind of anchoring themselves in case uh, there's uh, their jobs are uh, become uh, not there anymore in the in the radio television field so hopefully that's not going to be the case but it does seem to be it does seem to be a trend that's uh, been ongoing now for a while and um and certainly was a big wake-up fellow when that happened a couple of days ago
2: yeah i'm going to talk about it a little later in the show pete and, and I, I i prefer not to go out on a negative so let me ask you this did you say you did morning and afternoon sports while you were going to high school
3: Yep, I would go in the morning there, Rob, and I do the um, do the morning sports up until uh, eight thirty. Sure, it was a small town, so the school wasn't far away.
0: And
3: so then <laughs> so, I'd go to the high school and do my do uh, my morning and afternoon classes, and then when that ended about three forty-five, I'd head down to the radio station and uh, do the sports at uh, five, five thirty, and six. And so, then I'd go home and study for the next day. <laughs>
2: that's amazing i love that that's fantastic that's
3: how, that's how i started the business and and the, prior to that how that got started was that uh, i was doing the public address announcing
0: mm-hmm.
2: of
3: the local softball league there they had a real uh senior softball league that had four teams it was a big thing in in the city it was It gained a lot of interest a lot of fans so i was doing the I lived nearby there, so I was doing the public address system of those games. And then finally one of the players in the league was the radio station manager, Doug Young. And he came to me and he said, Why don't you do reports on these games for the radio station? So I would phone in reports to the radio station after the games were over. They'd run them in the morning. And then my last year of high school, he hired me to go in and do the sports guy. So that's that's where it started and uh, uh, but for that, maybe I wouldn't be here today, but uh, that's how it started. And fortunately it went on to, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, great things for me. And I'm very, very, uh, humbled, uh, for the fact that radio was so, so much part of, of my career. And now we're seeing, you know, what we're seeing yeah. with uh, regard yeah. to people being let go from, uh, these jobs. So, uh, we can only hope for the best there, but, uh, without radio, I might not be talking to you today, Rob.
2: And if, if the name Doug Young, the program director seems familiar, he was, yes,
3: he was a federal minister. Well, not anymore. He's retired now. But uh, he was a federal minister of uh, several several different portfolios uh, back in the nineties. Uh, yeah, and I think you met, I think you met him here in Calgary, and he was also at the uh, the Hall of Fame. He that, was at Arizona the two thousand six.
2: That's yeah. right. So, when you got the Foster yeah. Hewitt. Oh, by the way, do you know who's directly responsible for this year's Foster Hewitt Award winner?
3: Uh, There's a committee selected the past oh, uh no no no, no. that's the
2: That's the wrong answer, Pete. The man who is completely responsible for this year's foster Hewitt Award winner is hockey legend what? Perry Barrizan.
3: Oh, yes, He's, that's right. Yes, right? yes, it's Dan Ruzanowski
2: <laughs> of the San Jose Sharks, yeah. and Perry, when he was injured, did color with Dan in the first yep. year,
3: right? <laughs> so there's I had that. forgot all about that. You're absolutely right. Right?
2: There's Perry Berezan making hockey better again. Directly <laughs> responsible for this year's Foster Hewitt Award winner.
3: <laughs> He'll have to be there for the ceremony in November. You know, if,
2: if, if, I'll be disappointed if Dan doesn't dedicate the award to Perry. <laughs> that, that, that's the only logical thing to do.
3: I'm going to send Dan a note and recommend that that he yes, do that. absolutely. <laughs> and uh, thanks
1: for. Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live, from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you
0: talking about,
1: you insane Hollywood ass. you have an Airbnb, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
3: Letting me know because I've no. forgotten all about that. Yeah, I, no, I remember That's the old cow palace there in San Francisco right. That's where right. they played their first couple of years. Perry I, was injured and he was doing color. That's right.
2: <laughs> I just remember there's a story, and it's Perry's to tell, I really shouldn't, but anyway, I'm halfway through it anyway. They're working together, and Dan says, oh, and it's uh, offside by the uh, the San Jose Sharks. And Perry goes, no, Dan, that's actually icing. And everything, and Dan covered his mic and Perry's mic. Don't ever correct me. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh,
2: the little things that keep my little mind occupied. Pete, good to talk to you. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks, and we're going to have a lot to talk about then, too.
3: Oh, yeah, there's lots going on between now and then, that's for sure, Rob. Take right, care buddy. and enjoy the weekend. I will. Peter Meyer, everybody.
2: The legend. The legend. And I was uh, lucky enough to be there um, in uh, way, way back in, uh, what, oh, I guess 06, when Pete went in, into the Hall, got recognized by the Hall of Fame. It's different. The broadcasters are not, uh, you're not entered into the Hall of Fame. You know what? The hell with it. Let me do this. Uh, Ski Cellar Snowboard, sellersnowboard.com. They present our guests uh 76 years in calgary check them out head on down there see what's going on there's one location open in the summer four in the winter mcleod trail by chinook center eric dehatchik from the athletic joins us and he can take the marbles out of my mouth the media members are what's the difference they are uh they're
1: not honored members right Correct. They are media honorees, which is a distinction right. from full honoured membership. So, Correct. Um, So yeah, there's well, uh, and it's funny. I think the Hall of Fame, um, the actual Hall of Fame selection committee meets next Wednesday. It's going to be very interesting to see yep. what the class of 2023 looks like internally at The Athletic. We're doing a project that we do every year where we create our own shadow Hall of Fame. Committee publish our results before the actual Hall of Fame, and then see how we do compared to the real Hall. But yeah, if if you go to the Hall of Fame in Toronto, in the Great Hall there, where they display the Stanley Cup, uh, the Honored Members each have a plaque there, and then right. on the side, to one side, is the the Media Wall of Fame. I, I guess for lack of a better purpose, but it's yeah, you are a media honoree. That's what it says on your blazer, as opposed to Honored Members. So there is a distinction. It's not full membership, but Basically, it's the highest honor that you sure. can win as a as a hockey writer or a hockey broadcaster. And, and I and it's because it's a peer award, Rob. I mean, yep. the, the the thing that I think all of us value the most is is you know the people that read us, edit us, um, compete against us are the ones that vote on these awards. And so to get a recognition from 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 your colleagues who know your work better than anyone, um, there is no, you know, higher accolade in in, in my view. So that, uh, you know, when I won the Elmer Ferguson in 2001, you know, it was a complete shock, and um, you know, I mean, nothing professionally has ever topped that in my mind. So right, right. Well, and and my moment came
2: came last year when our our good friend. <laughs> went in and you, you inducted them and, uh, Dancy, yeah, yeah. and, uh, you, you name dropped the show. So that in was that, my, yeah. that was my hall of fame moment. I've got it. <laughs> I'm happy. I,
1: I can <laughs> well, die. The beauty, of, the beauty of today, as opposed to 2001 is that, that those things are available uh, yes. on YouTube, you know? So yeah. if you start looking for my speech, you'd have a hard time finding it. I don't think there's any record of it anywhere, but, uh, but yes al morganchies was was widely available and, and he spoke really well about, oh, about boy, the Getty. evolution of the industry and 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 uh, what makes this job so appealing on a lot of levels it, it's the social side of it right it's interviewing players it's uh, it's the camaraderie you develop within the news organizations that you work for i mean there's there's just a whole lot of things to be thankful for when when you kind of reach that moment to, moment in your career so and I always encourage people to go down to the Hockey Hall of Fame like if you care enough about hockey and you haven't seen the Hall of Fame and and you're drifting into Toronto for whatever reason I had a friend that that was that went in for a business trip and said you know what should I do and I said go to the Hall of Fame and this is someone that didn't really care that much about hockey but I I said you know this is part of our culture it's part of our heritage it's part of who we are as Canadians everyone should go in and see it and really? it's fun it's interactive it's it's not just a a dry a, a collection of of memorabilia and such there is great memorabilia in there too but there's fun things to do for the kids so so yeah, uh, yeah. and and, and uh, the other thing i would say rob if if you we, we want to get off this topic eventually is that this is the time of year when i get very itchy to be back on the committee because if you do on, eh? if you, well if you're on the main selection committee so i, I joined yeah? the main selection committee in 2004 but there are term limits, right? So mm-hmm. like being, you can only be a U.S. president twice, and you can only serve five three-year terms on the selection committee, and then you rotate off. So in 2018, my you know fifth three-year term came to an end. Cassie Campbell-Pascal replaced me on the committee. I'm sure she does a great job, but of course, I'm not there, and everyone is bound by secrecy, so I don't really know what, what goes on in those conversations. And I think the further removed I am, the less feel I have for what is going to happen next, you know, like right. the first year afterwards, you know, who came close. And then when somebody gets elected, it's like, okay, yeah. Cause that person came close, but you know, it's now five years, mm-hmm. the committee has had a fairly significant turnover, um, this year, two new members, uh, Mike, our friend, Michael Farber. Also reached the 15-year term limit. So he's gone. He's been replaced by Scott Morrison, the longtime sports editor of the Toronto Sun who was with me on Satellite Hot Stove for a number of years and then worked for Rogers for, for a lot of years. So he's replaced Michael and Joe Sackick is on the committee for the first time and he's replaced Bobby Clark who retired. So Bobby only served nine years, three, three-year terms. And, and then just, you know, uh, voluntarily decided to, he didn't want to continue, but they've added Joe Sackett to the mix. And that that's, that, that, he'll be really good. Like yeah. he, he's a really smart, introspective, knowledgeable guy. It doesn't speak loudly, but I'm sure that when Joe does speak, um, his, his voice will carry a lot of uh, weight in, in that room. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see it. Uh, if anybody cares, the, the, it's um, it's one of those years where there aren't a ton of, of slam dunk first year male players that are eligible. Henrik Lundqvist is at the top of the list. I'm, I'm fairly certain he'll be a, a first time. Hall of Famer. But after that, it's Justin Williams, you know, really good career. You know, Jay Bowmeister, really good career. Corey Mm -hmm. Crawford, really good career. Um, Nobody that's, you know, that screams slam dunk the way like a Nicholas Lidstrom would have or a a Ray Bork would have. And so in years where there is only one, then that's when the second chance candidates get a, get an opportunity. And, um, and I'm just wondering, uh, because my hobby horse was always uh, goaltenders, right? That, yep. that I think I think they are notoriously underrepresented. I think that, that, that's just a statistical conclusion. I, I believe, I, I was looking it up the other day, I think in the past 30 years, I think only seven goaltenders have been elected, and that includes Roberto Luongo last year. So I think Lundqvist will get in this year. But I also think Mike Vernon, Chris Osgood, Curtis Joseph, Tom Barrasso, um, Uh, you know even even Corey Crawford on on some level uh, I think these are people that will all have to be considered and I I wonder if this might be the year of the goaltender just because I I do think that um you know there's been a a really good catch-up moment for the hall in terms of of European players from an earlier era that have been elected in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. and I think it's time to catch up on on goalies that have uh that have been overlooked, and uh, and again, I wonder if our if our old friend Mike Vernon is is going to be one of those uh, those people. I, I, yeah. I think he should be. You know, to be I honest, I, I wrote a piece a couple of years ago on the Athletic when we were doing Hall of Fame snubs, making the case for for Mike. And you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it, but certainly one is head to head against Patrick Watt and and Grant Fuhr, his two peers. He had a winning record against both. I think both of those men would support mike's candidacy even though they were great rivals of of his and and then the other is that you know he he did win one con Smythe as a playoff mvp playing for detroit in 1997 and i can tell you in, in 1989 it was it was a 50 50 coin flip between between mike vernon yep. and al mckinnis for yep. the con Smythe. and uh and and uh, you know we never know the exact results of the votes but i'm told it was very very close and it could have gone either way and 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 I know that there are people you know that that felt that just because of the way Vernon played and allowed the flames to have that great escape in the first round against Vancouver that should have tilted the the scale in his uh, favor. So one way or another uh he has had exceptional playoff uh uh numbers. Uh he was a terrific regular season goaltender. You know, his his pure raw statistical numbers are not as um you know as as good as the goalies that played in the dead puck era but he played he came into the national hockey league in the 1985-86 season then i believe that was 1985 was the highest scoring um year in the history of the national hockey league so you know grant fears numbers for that for first you know 10 years of his career weren't great and patrick was same thing and so i i I don't know. It, 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 it's it been a long time. I never want to make predictions because even when I was on the committee, they were always wrong. Um, but I, but I do, it feels like it yeah. could be his year. It feels like, like it could be his year.
2: I don't understand how we can say, and we celebrated this, that Grant didn't matter with Grant fear, how many mm-hmm. he always, he always let in one last, right? That was yeah. the thing about Grant fear. Sure. And the thing that I've said about Mike Vernon and it, it applies to Fury, it applies to Patrick Waugh, but it really applies to Mike Vernon. He played in two different eras of goaltending. Mm-hmm. He came in as a stand-up flopper mm-hmm. and left as a butterfly goalie mm-hmm. and won in both of those eras. Like, he won cups in both of those eras. That has to account for something. And he would not have been
1: drafted for the last two decades because he was under six feet. Right, exactly 100%. Yeah, no, I mean, goldies like that would have been weaned out long before he ever sure. got there. But remember, that was the era. Where you know Mike Palmatier played, yep. Darren Pang played. Like I mean, but you know, eighty
2: I, games. Let's not get crazy. Okay, okay. I, I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer, but but <laughs> no, I, no, no, the I know. Point is yeah. that that yeah, you yeah. could
1: play in the National Hockey League as recently as Darren Pang's career, because he was yep. a rookie in Joe yeah. Newendijk's year. I remember that's right. Because Darren Pang used to go around. He was he was as glib then as a first year <laughs> pro as he is now on on television. And uh, <laughs> I remember talking to him once, and uh, and he he started his own. Darren Pang for the for the Calder campaign, and it was Pang easier to spell than Newey. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty that's good. brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliant. I like that. I think he got in the top three. I think it was it was Joe, Ray, Shepard, and Darren Pang, if I remember. That but anyway, it was. But but okay, so that's not that long ago, and he's five five, and he played in the National Hockey League, and yeah. and and he and you had a really good junior career. So you're right. The the position has changed. I'm hoping that. A, a little bit of what your UC Saros is doing and, and yeah. maybe what we're going to see from Dustin Wolf in the yeah. future with, with Calgary, that, that, um, that notion that you have to be six, four or six, two or six, six to play goal. I hope that goes away, that, that skilled, smaller players can still make it, but we'll see We're we're in a, for sure uh, in a transitional period for that position.
2: L- last one. And we got to get to lots of news, but, um, What's the one thing that would surprise people on the outside about being an elector or se- selector in the in the uh, process of the Hall of Fame?
1: Hmm. Well, what would surprise people? That's an interesting way of framing the question. Um, I, I would tell you that what surprised me when I first started was um, how intense that four to five hours is. Uh, you know, you're in a room with a lot of very opinionated um knowledgeable people and uh and you know and 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 people who are not afraid to challenge you on things so you know the world feels a little bit namby-pamby sometimes and and everyone is afraid of everyone's shadow and is afraid of saying this thing and the next thing and, and and in that room People are willing to say, it, uh, <laughs> this lay it on the line. Time. All right, yeah, and, and I got to be careful. You, you, I'm not yep. allowed to say uh, what is actually said in those meetings because of confidentiality. But I think I can characterize the tone and not breach confidentiality. And I would say that it's it's fascinating. It's draining. At the mm-hmm. end of it, you you feel like you know like you've run a half a marathon or something like that. And yep. uh, and and sometimes it's frustrating. You know, like you feel that you have built a strong case for a particular candidate. It should be clear in everyone's mind that this person belongs in the hall of fame and it requires 14 votes out of 18 or, you know, and, and you end up a couple short and it's like, you know, you can, you've convinced two thirds of the people in the room that that you've got a viable candidate, but because the the bar is set so high, Mm -hmm. you don't get in unless you get 14 out of 18. I think that that's misunderstood. I would say the two things that are, are most misunderstood about the process is how hard it is to get 18, get 14 out of 18 votes of people who are very strong willed and single minded. So that's one and then the other thing that people sometimes don't necessarily realize or understand is what you referenced before that the committee changes right so so since i've been gone i think there are seven new members of the committee scotty bowman retired the year before me i think coley campbell the year after um so there's there's at least a third of the committee that i didn't even serve with at the time and so they all bring their own perspective That's different from the six people that rotated off the committee. And this is my answer to when people ask, you know, well, why did Eric Lindros get in after after 10 years? Well, the committee that was in place when Eric Lindros was first eligible and the committee that was in place when Eric Lindros was actually elected. Mm -hmm. I mean, there there are 10 or 12 new faces, new voices, new thoughts. And so and, and that's part of why they rotate people in and off to, you know, to keep it fresh. You know, you've got, you know, people whose careers, ha- you know, are are fairly fresh and 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 have a memory of playing against the, you know, the candidates that, that are coming up and they can say, here's what it was like to face Henrik Lundqvist, you know, but there are also people there that can say, here's what it was like to face Mike Vernon. Um, but I think that the, 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 um, the the evolution of, of the committee is something that people don't understand because I get, I used, to, I get that 10 times every year. Well, why now? Like why now after 10 years, does this guy get in? Well, that, that it's as simple as that. The committee is yep. just different than it was 10 years ago.
2: Um, let, let's get into some news. Uh, let's, we'll start with the local hockey heroes and we'll go chronologically. Uh, Ryan Huska introduced as the 24th coach of the Calgary flames on Monday. Um, another, you know, did it went through the system? Did everything was asked. Gets the promotion. Um, thoughts on what you've heard? What you think of of Ryan Huska as a choice?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm not sure that I can add very much to what I said two weeks ago because remember, Rob, we yeah. talked about this, and and and, yeah. and the question was, you know, who do you think it should be? And I said, I, I think it should be Ryan Huska, and and mm-hmm. my my thought was, well, you know, a few things. One, I always appreciate a, a candidate that has touched every rung of the ladder going up and is is waiting for an opportunity and is ready for that opportunity. So if you look at his record in junior hockey, you look at his record as a head coach in minor pro, you look at the last five years of being an assistant coach in the National Hockey League, th- th- those are the necessary steps. That was that was the whole thing we were talking about Mitch Love. Like Mitch Love is going to be an NHL head coach at some point. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. I think there's no doubt in other people's minds, but I do believe that, and I think Craig Conroy even said this at the press conference that, you know, he needs to be in the NHL as an assistant coach, you know, learn the practice rings, the coaches offices, the hotels, the, it, it, it no matter whether you believe it or not, it is different. It, it is different managing NHL players. It is different managing an NHL lifestyle. And so I think that that's the only box that he has left to check. And once he checks that box, people will be lining up to hire him the way they were lining up to hire mm-hmm. Spencer Carberry. Uh, in in Washington, so um, now then then there's the question of, of the internal candidate. Well, what I li- really like about that is that that both. Craig Conra and Ryan Huska have, have an, an insider's knowledge of the team and and what makes the players tick and the difficulty with grafting an outside voice on is it takes time for those people to, to, to figure it out. I remember having this conversation with Barry Trotz once, you know, Barry's point is that, that coaching is about managing people, but you, you. It, relationships don't happen overnight, and so you can begin with the "Hi, how are you?" or the get acquainted lunch. But but you only really get to know someone when you work with them. Yeah. You know, day in and day out, you're on the sure. ice with them day in and day out. You're 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 in the dressing room with them. You see what motivational buttons work and what 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 doesn't work, and and that that takes time. Just look at Florida. You know, how, how long did it take Paul Maurice to? to get that message to sink in he eventually did sink in it's not that you can't have success as a, as a first-year coach going on onto a new team but it helps to have the 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 breadth of knowledge that that ryan huska ryan huska has and i was mm-hmm. very impressed i made a point of going to the press conference even though i wasn't really wasn't really writing about it but i wanted to see how he carried himself and i, I and I, I think I thought he did, did an outstanding job yeah. of, of communicating. Here's what I know, here's what I don't know, here's what I hope to learn. Uh, you know, those, you know, acknowledging that, you know, tells me that he knows, you know, what, what the job is. Um, he has specific ideas about, about what he wants to tackle and what he wants to, to do differently. His voice is just by its nature is going to be different from, from the voice that he replaces, Daryl Sutter. Um, that's the third or fourth time i've walked into the saddle dome since the season ended and it does feel like a different place uh there's a, a positive energy uh, because the two key decision makers the new coach and the new general manager are really positive people mm-hmm. i also think there's a lot of backbone there um <clears throat> i was asked to do a, a quick news hit on on ryan huska by one of our editors and uh and, and i i said here's how i would describe in in, in because you have to do it very concisely firm but fair I said, firm but fair, keep that in mind. I said, because, you know, when you look at the coaching spectrum, you can have the old school kick butt coach over, you know, the slave driver coach at at the one end. And then you, you know, the other extreme of course is, is the players coach who's, you know, pals with the coach and and you hear the players use a nickname to describe the coach. And and you can just tell that, you know, that, that he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, there with his, his group. Right. And and I think that, Neither extreme is, is ideal. I think what you want is the best of both, right? So firm, but fair. And, and, you know, every player will tell you, or most will tell you that as long as they know where they stand, um, they can deal with, with, with criticism, feedback, whatever term you want. It's the coaches that from that earlier era, that thought that motivating players by keeping them guessing worked. Well, That might have worked in the 80s it probably did work in the 80s it it probably worked in in the 1970s it doesn't work in 2023 and so i think that just in terms of 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 the way he comports himself uh and and the way he he won't be like he won't be a pushover but on the other hand he's not going to be cracking the whip every day yeah yeah, that that's the type of coach you want and you had somebody internally that 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 checked those boxes so you know, I mean, I'm on record as saying that I think this is a a very good hire and and let's see what happens in October.
2: Yeah. Interesting to hear how you described the press conference, just watching it. It was crisp and professional. That's what I came away with. Crisp and professional. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't memorable in the sense of, you know, big words and platitudes and things like that. But to your point, came in, said things that, he believes and and answered the questions. And I, I personally, I love the the connection to the alumni. I thought that was a nice little touch too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it just felt right. Sure. Exactly. And, and, and you know what, you're probably not going to get a lot of one liners, but that's okay. The no, job yeah, is not, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not hiring a comedian. They're no. hiring a hockey coach. Right? We had so. Bob Hartley. No, we yeah. were good. Um, <laughs> and that was good too, by the way.
2: <laughs> sure. Oh, sure. He filled a book. Um, and then, and then yesterday, um, I don't know if we call it the what, worst kept secret or, you know, inevitable or whatever, but Jerome McGinley is back as a special assistant to the general manager. Um, this, you know, it, it almost has two lives to it, right? Here's arguably the best player in the organization's history coming back, but it's the relationship between him and the general manager that I think is the real story here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And and so, uh, you know, one of the, like, I'll eventually weigh in on this, but, but one of my first thoughts was that, um, and I asked Craig Conroy this, um, th- when I look at NHL front offices, a lot of times there is too much group think. And, and the group think comes from the fact that the general manager goes out and hires a bunch of his pals. And he does that because he trusts them. So he trusts their feedback. He, under- he trusts their hockey knowledge. Um, you know, he feels comfortable in a, in a room of people that he has had a long association with. The problem with that is that, that sometimes everybody thinks the same way. And what you need is, is one or two people in the room to say, well, wait a second. I disagree. I think we need to go in a different direction. And here's why. Then it's up to the general manager to weigh the pros and cons of any argument that's put for him. And he's the one that ultimately makes the decision. But if you remember, the, the beauty of, of Craig's relationship with Jerome is that they, as good as friends <laughs> as they were, they, they often disagreed. They, yes. they, you yes. saw it on the benches. You saw it when they... You know, when we were doing all the profiles of, of, of Jerome when he retired and went in the Hall of Fame, you know, the stories that they they told on each other and, and you know, and how they would compete against each other. So so this is not that group thing. No. thing. This is this is a, a relationship that has been around for a long time, but it involves uh, pushback. And, and, and I think that that's healthy. That's yeah. really healthy. So, so, and it will be probably a, you know, a, a transition because, you know, as we, we, you know, or was reported, you know, Jerome will continue to coach yeah. uh, at Rink Academy for, for another year and then transition into a, a more full-time position. I think really all this does is formalize something that was happening already because, you know, that was my question to, to Craig was that um I, I said well you know haven't you been talking to him oh yeah no I've been talking to him you know and I you know I would have continued to talk to him but but they wanted to formalize the relationship and then and then see where it goes and and I think that it will be different in 12 months time yeah. when he can devote more more time to to the job and less time to coaching and and then it may evolve after that you know because the one thing that I think that Jerome has said, you know several times to the records is that he really does enjoy coaching and, and he might be even enjoying it more than than uh than he thought he would and so you know is the future you know like behind the bench as an assistant or, or something like that at some point i don't know you know that, that that's just speculation but i think about you know someone like ron francis who run Seattle now and eventually became the general manager in, in Carolina for a time. He was an assistant on Paul Maurice's staff. A lot of people have, have done that just to check the box of what that's like. Like if the whole idea is to educate yourself about the business side mm-hmm. of hockey or, and the administrative side of, of hockey, um, you can do that by, by scouting, you know, uh, you know, if, if, if Jerome's sitting in, in, Cologne, if there's somebody they want to see from the Western league that's coming through, you know, can you go to the game tonight? You know, um, you know, we're doing a tour of of college free agents. We have to bid against other teams. We have to, you know, entice them to come to our to our city, you know, can you come and, and, you know, and from your perspective as, as a Calgary Flame, explain why this is a city and an organization that you want to join. I mean, he can, he can do a lot of different things. And I think that's why the title is special advisor, because, you know, then, then Craig can ask him to help me here, help me there, help me there. And and then over time, you know, part-time probably becomes full-time. And then, and then Jerome can decide, you know, how much uh, time he wants to put into it and, and, uh, you know, and how badly he wants to stay in. The one thing I would say that that I, I had a terrible take about 25 or 30 years ago that it proved to be completely wrong because at the point where salary escalation just went bananas, you know, I, I think I wrote a column saying that the problem with this is that no star player then will ever want to become a manager because he'll have made $50 million, $80 million, $100 million. Why go to the trouble and and the heartache of of being general manager assistant general manager coach assistant coach when you when when you don't have to work and what i failed to realize was that the reason these people became the great players was because they were passionate about the game because they were lifers in the game and even though they don't have to work for the money they still want to be part of the game and so that's why you have the joe zackics and the rob blakes and the rendon Mm -hmm. shanahan's and 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 all of those people still in the game they don't have to work they're doing it because they want to. And, and that was like a complete miscalculation on my part, which, you know, I've slowly over time come to realize that, no, it's the opposite. You know, that people who care about the game, they don't want to leave the game. I mean, Wayne Gretzky's the best example. You know, when he went back to coaching, it was because he missed the game. And the thing that he missed the most about the game was being in the dressing room with the players. And so for a while anyway, he got a chance to do that again because he missed the game. Why is he on a, on a TNT panel? You know, he yep. doesn't have to be, you know, you can just do commercials for betting sites and make a fortune, but you, he wants to still have a, a role in the game. And when the commissioner's there at the Stanley cup final and sitting beside him on the set, you know, it's, you know, it, it reminds him of, you know, the days when, when they used to win Stanley cups in Edmonton. So anyway,
2: I, the gen- the general manager and the special advisor are going to have some work to do. Um, your <laughs> your colleague uh, Pierre LeBrun uh, writing today in the Athletic that Noah Hannifin uh, has expressed that he's not interested in signing another deal here in Calgary. Uh, that explains, I guess, if you will, why his name has popped up there. Disappointing to me. I I, I really like Noah Hannifin as a defenseman, but we all knew they had the seven players that could be free agents next year. There was going to be work, and that work is starting to come the some of it, it's beginning to show some clarity here
1: yeah well, no I, th- I think that's a good take by you Rob and and I would say that uh that the, the, so the, the, here to me this was always the, the the challenge that Craig Conroy was going to face so I, th- I think that you know w- this new regime that, that's in place I think is is going to be very attractive to to a lot of the players that were having some issues so you know everything that was said in the exit meetings you know I want to wait to see what the path forward looks like until I commit. And um, and I think the message there was, you know, you need to make some changes. So I think they've made positive changes, but the reality is if you're, let, let's say, let's use Noah Hannafin as an example, mm-hmm. but you could probably say the same for, for Lindholm and maybe even for Backlund. Um, they they probably, they approve of the, the new general manager. They probably approve of the coaching hire, but they're at a point where they're real close to UFA. The salary cap is, probably one year or two years away from really going up so if you sign an extension right now you're you're dealing with you know the fourth or fifth year of a million dollar cap rise and, and teams are they're hamstrung they could you know they they might want to give you more money but they don't have the money to give you it's just yeah. the, the nature of of, of yeah. the beast but the escrow payment will be rich will be paid off by the end of this year and so i'm i'm expecting you know a five million dollar jump i i think i think the cap will be up 10 million dollars by the summer of 2025 so okay. again it's why it's why Gavrikov signs a two-year contract because his agent is seeing the same thing you'll know, be a lot more money in the system in, in two years time um and there will be more money in the system next summer already and so um so if, if you're hannahan or, or or lindholm what, what what do you gain well you gain security if you get if you have a a poor year or or an injury that uh, reduces your market value, then you've gambled and lost. But the reality is, you know, if you have a, a another good year, there's no you don't have to you don't have to sign this summer. You know, you can wait to see o- October 5th, puck drops. Flames are really good right out of the start. There's a positive energy, a positive environment. I'm liking it. Well, it doesn't you can sign an extension then. Yep. Um, or you can wait to see how the whole season goes and then and then test the market. So I think it's a very reasonable position for the players to take mm-hmm. um, in, the, in their shoes. Maybe I would take the same position. But problem, of course, if you're the general manager is, you know, that flies against the philosophy that was outlined at his introductory press conference, which is we let Johnny Gaudreau go for nothing and you just can't let an asset walk. Right. And, and so without getting something in return. So then the mat, it becomes, OK, so what can you get for him? Um, and when is the appropriate time to, to trade a player? Is it before the draft? Well, if you, if you trade him before the draft, then you have a chance to get picks in a very deep 2023 draft. So that's a good thing. Do you trade him during the summer? You know, once the free agency airs clear and teams find that they didn't get the player that they wanted, they're circling back to you because, like, I, I was hoping to sign – you know, Orloff, uh, but I didn't get him. So, you know, like I need a top four guy and you have a guy available. I'll, I'll give you player X. Or do you wait until the trade deadline? Because the price for rentals has been ridiculous these last few years. And it's possible that you might even get more for a top four defenseman like Hannafin or a true number one center mm-hmm. like Lindholm at the trade deadline, And the risk there, of course, is you're having a good season and then can you afford to trade a contributing player off the roster and what's the message you sent? So see, it's this, this complex nuanced question that doesn't really have a, an obvious easy answer. Um, I, but I, and I think that this is where, you know, hard decisions are going to be have to make have to be made. And I think that Craig Connor is capable of making those because I think he's got lots of backbone, um, but you know, if your first uh, major trade is 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 moving a guy out, just because you know you he might not sign, that's you 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 know you're the, the first move is is a calculated risk, and uh, and then we'll see where it goes. So, um, but you know, I look at the depth on on their defense. I think Zdorov can play higher up the the depth chart. I also think that as you start moving pieces around. You might be able to find, um, you know, somebody that that, that can mm-hmm. fill in. So I, I think Hannafin has value. I think he has at least yep. first round, at the very least first round value. Um, you know, could he get a, a package like Alex Dobrynka got from Ottawa? Maybe. Depends on the team. You know, people are talking about, you know, how Buffalo could really use someone like him, how there's a connection between Hannafin and, and Don Granato. I mean, you know, I mean, Buffalo has like a really nice young defence corps coming. You know, Dolan is probably going to sign for 10 million a year for eight years on July 1st or when he's eligible to do it. Owen Power <laughs> is coming. But, but but you know, getting a, a, like a Hannafin type in there to supplement that group uh, that that would be really good, you know, and, and Buffalo does have um, futures that you might be able to, yep. um, you know, to, to trade for. So sure. yeah, interesting time. And I do think to your point, you know, between now and, you know, the draft and then that period between the draft and, and free agency, and then the, you know, then free agency, and then the period after free agency, I think we're going to see a significant number of moves. So, you know, today is what 16th of, of June by yeah. the 16th of July, the depth charts that, that, you and I have for all of our, our teams are going to look dramatically different for about 10 to 12 teams, I would say.
2: Yeah, I would think so. And I think part of that too is, you know, you mentioned Orlov, who now really, I guess, becomes the, you know, the big free agent out there. Um, it's not a great free agency class, right? So it's if not, you're going to no. do upgrades, you're going to have to horse trade, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's fair. So, uh, you know, like every everyone overpays in free agency, you know, like I thought, you know, so – Damon Severson was a pending UFA out of New Jersey. Columbus trades for his right, sell signs him eight years for like fifty million dollars. So I must not be watching enough New Jersey Devils games because it didn't look like a fifty million dollar player to me. So, but I would be I would be a terrible general manager right now because every one of these contracts makes no sense. It's like, are you kidding? For for. For you know, almost eight million for Jesper Bratt. Uh, really? You know, I, I, I would be a terrible general manager. I would be like, no, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing that. So,
2: <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. Um, let's talk. Arbitration is <laughs> always a funny one, but let's talk about it. So, Ottawa will take brinket to arbitration. He's asked to be traded. I think there's there's a reason for this. Eric, Eric can you kind of walk me through it?
1: Uh, it's so complicated. I, I, okay. I don't, if if you ask for a two-year ARB award, you can get him signed for, I think, 775 instead of nine, which is the qualifying offer. And so gotcha. there would be, a, there would be a way of, of getting his number down a little bit until he becomes, um, until he becomes a, an unrestricted free agent. Actually, I guess, you know, in, in his case, you, you can't ask for a two-year award because he's only a year away from, from UFA. So uh, it's a dense, complicated thing. I was researching it myself and and yeah. I thought, okay, this is, you know, this is when you need to call the Mike Burks of the world and say, okay, how does that how work? How does this work? Because I know. But, but, there yeah. is a, but there is a mechanism. And, and I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe the flames filed for arbitration with Matthew could check for, for a similar thing, you know, mm-hmm. just to, you know, and, and I think the other thing is, you you, you know, yeah, they're, they're, I, I, I'm going to be talking myself into a corner and, yeah, and give okay. up false information, which I don't want to do, but there is a, there is a, a a reason for doing that because it allows them to, uh, to, to potentially if, if they have to hang on to him to get him at, at a lower number. But I do think too, that, that they will, you know, in the same way that you know Calgary's probably gonna have to listen to on hannafin that Winnipeg is having to listen on Dubois and ottawa Ottawa's gonna have to listen on underbrinken. Yeah. And and here's what I will tell you: I think the general managers that are in that position, they prefer that to the uncertainty. Because if someone gives you the defi- a definitive no. Uh, that's better than a maybe, because maybe is is the Gaudreau message. You know, in, in yeah. fact, I, I would say, I would characterize the Gaudreau message as maybe, probably, or maybe possibly. And so I think that that held out a lot of hope for the people that were running the team that that yeah. that that he would sign. You know, that he was interested in exploring free agency, but but you know he had an attachment. To, and then all of a sudden, you know, eleven minutes before the deadline, it's like no, I'm testing the market. And so, um, so you would rather have, you know, what Matthew Kachuk did, which is like, you know, here's who I'm prepared to play for. Here's what I'm prepared to sign for. You can get more assets back this way than you can when I leave for nothing. And so, to me, that that's actually doing the team a courtesy to to just to say it. If you know you're not going to sign. And, and you feel any loyalty to the organization that you're that you've played for for any number of years, then I think it's it it's, it behooves you to to say if you're not sure you're not sure then, right. then you you yep. know you you return and play and, and and maybe you know maybe then you can you know sign them during the season but um but yeah I mean I, I look at the the number of you know to your point free agency isn't great so you you're probably going to go have to go into the market <clears> there's <throat> some really good players that are going to be available. And then it's just a matter of, um, you know, what are people prepared to give up to get them?
2: Well, there's another defenseman <laughs> available. While you and I have been talking, the Vancouver Canucks are taking advantage of the buyout window <laughs> and are going to pay um, Oliver Ekman Larson for the next eight years. Wow. Uh, there's a team that I don't know how you get out of all of this mess, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so they pay well, 88% the, uh, and Coyotes play of the buyout costs.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's a two year plan to extricate yourself from, from the hole. Like, you know, like they, they dug this hole. uh, And I think that, you know, they're blaming it largely on, on the previous regime. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think in the case of Ekman Larson, yeah. uh, What what an interesting player, right, Rob? Yeah. Oh yeah. When Austin Matthews was available to be drafted at at the, you know, at the top of the first round in 2016, I think it was Mm -hmm. Uh, Ekman Larson was one of the top defensemen in the National Hockey League playing for Arizona. Um, And uh, there was talk, you know, like, I think it was just made up stuff. But, uh, you know, would you know, Arizona consider trading Ekman Larson to Toronto so they could draft Austin Matthews and Austin Matthews could save the franchise. And I think most of, you know, I think both sides said, no, we're not doing that. But I'm thinking to myself, well, why wouldn't Arizona do that if, if it was offered? I, <laughs> yes. I don't think it was ever offered. So yeah. now, fast forward to today, you've got one player that's probably going to sign a contract extension after July 1st that will make him the highest paid player in the game. And another player who is on the unemployment line and and probably going to, if he plays at all in North America, is going to play for a, for a very small sum of money. And um, I, I can't say that I've watched him enough. I think it's really hard when a player becomes a whipping boy, like, like yep. Oliver Ekman Larson did, to really evaluate what what he can do you know i think about erica branson he became a whipping boy and then he came to calgary and played pretty well he So did. there's a part yeah. of me that thinks that that used the right way priced right that oliver ekman larson is going to help somebody it just you know it, it, it was just too much money um, you know for a guy that you know was not playing you know top pair minutes anymore and um, and and just was a symbol of everything that had gone wrong for two years in the organization that that that's a lot of weight for a player to carry you know you're you're trying to play a game at top speed and and, and you get booed and and it, mm-hmm. it just you know if anyone needs a fresh start, there's a player that does and he's, he's a player I've always liked so and he has a connection to Bradley living so you know you wonder, if Toronto has to go shopping for a, you know, an inexpensive reinforcement on the blue line, is he someone that that would go there? You know, has a relationship with Brad, presumably has a relationship with Shane Doan. So, um, if if Hannifin moves from here, is, is he somebody that's not?
2: Kind of what I was thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, went well, no, away, right? Yeah, well, they 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 looked at him, you know, and there was just too much money, and 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 I think the biggest problem with that trade was that when Arizona made the trade they only ate what was it one eighth or something like that it was a very it was a very insignificant amount of money and that'll be a you know part of of the conversation that the teams have this summer as they're trying to move on from some of these these high price contracts you know we had a story on our website uh this week about eric carlson and six possible destinations And, and in every case it was you know like here's what eric carlson can bring to this team and and here's the here are the financial hoops that they would have to jump through in order to make it happen. And at the end of reading it, it's like wow, those are really strong, consistent, expensive financial hoops. And as good a player as he is, and he'll probably win the Norris Trophy. You know, it he, he that contract might be close to untradeable. Of course, I thought Cal Peterson's contract was untradable, and Rob Blake managed to trade it. So so uh, nothing, I guess, is untradeable anymore. So. Uh,
2: last one before you let you go. And, and I, maybe it speaks to the era we're in. Maybe it just speaks to how forgettable it was, but there was a Stanley cup champion decided earlier this week and it was Vegas. Who who won by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Who won (laughs) Vegas. Yeah. Oh, Vegas. Okay. Six six years in, um, great local story in Aiden Hill. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. yeah. But it sure kind of felt like outside of Nevada, this one just didn't resonate mostly because I don't think. I just don't think Florida was competitive in this series.
1: No, no, it was. It was. You know, I, I hate to say it. It was a terrible Stanley Cup final. A lot of one-sided games. There wasn't yep. a lot of of uh, mystery there. When Kachuk got hurt, uh, yeah. You know, it, it, you know, the Keegan Colasar hit basically ended the series right right then and there. Um. Yeah. So you know, I my column today weighs in on 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 Vegas from the perspective of what an unorthodox blueprint, and mm-hmm. and how do you how do you follow that blueprint because. So think about the, the previous champion, you know, Colorado uh, Avalanche. So their nucleus, McKinnon first overall, Landis Cogg second overall, McCarr fourth overall, Ranton and 10th overall, draft and develop, right? That was their, their model. Tampa before them, you know, Steven Stamkos first overall, Hedman second overall uh Kucherov a steal in the 3rd round Vasilevsky a first round draft and develop right so that 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 is the mantra and the model for virtually every organization in the National Hockey League then you've got this one team that swims against the tide you know draft and develop they, uh, like yeah. without saying draft schmaff that's you know i mean they use those the, the players that they chose in the draft they used draft choice as draft choices as as currency but they went out and and got a really expensive uh, yeah. center in Eichel, a really expensive uh, winger in Stone, a really expensive defenseman in Petrangelo. And then they turned to their their pro scouting department and said, find us, you know, value elsewhere. And and all of a sudden, you know, Chandler Stevenson comes in and Howden mm-hmm. comes in and they grab Amadio on waivers. And... You know, the, the trade that I, you know, so during these playoffs, right? So we've heard all about how Marchessault and, and Riley Smith ended up from Florida in, in Vegas and, and Theodore from Anaheim. And those were all the big names. So I'm looking at Kolasar, who I thought was really an important figure in yep. that uh, in that series and, and in that entire playoff. And, okay, how did they get him? Because he wasn't a draft choice. And, and so the trade tree is Tampa gives... Vegas, the forty-fifth pick in the draft, because uh, you know, t- because they wanted to unload Jason Garrison's contract. So Vegas makes Jason Garrison their selection from Tampa, and in exchange for taking Garrison and not one of their better players, they get a second-round pick. Then at the draft, they trade that second-round pick to Columbus because Columbus has their eye on that Alexander Tessier, the Tessier, the player who went to France, who I think is coming back this yep. year and so for that second round pick that they, they get keegan colisar so colisar had been drafted by columbus back in 2015 he was playing for seattle in the whl he had a great playoff for seattle from brandon right so in 2017 who's the assistant general manager it's kelly McRiman from brandon so there's the connection so it's not an overnight sensation he goes to chicago plays in the minors gets to the nhl he's really only been in the nhl for a couple of years 26 not a kid but Big, strong, tough. If you think of the identity of that Vegas team, you know, to me, the identity came from Colasar, from Carrier, from from that fourth line that just mm-hmm. that was just so stalwart and just played so hard. And you know, and but how do you duplicate that blueprint? You know, their, their bottom ten were better than anybody else's bottom ten. They had a real nice, you know, the skilled guys at the top. No, there's no doubting what I called it. What is so did. You know, what, what, what Petrangelo meant, what Aiden Hill meant to the team, but, but they could roll those guys out there as a coach that I was talking to said, they never hand off a bad shift. So mm-hmm. does that change the way teams think? You know, I, I, I use this as a trivia question to a few people, including, uh, our, our good friend, Craig Button, who, by the way, got it in one, uh, <laughs> how, how, how many drafted players did they have in the lineup on the night that they won? How many drafted players? Uh, Vegas drafted players. Yeah. Three? Well, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm going to oh, tell okay. you the answer. The answer is one. And oh. it was it was Nick Haye. Nick Haye is that's the a... only drafted player that was in the lineup. The Paul Cotter was around. There's a few guys that... But, that in, the yeah, yeah, but yeah. in the lineup. Yeah, yeah. But in the lineup, contributing to this championship, one. And, and they're six years in. So that's not like, like if it's Seattle, okay. You know, you've got a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds. Yeah. You wouldn't expect to have too many. But they're six years in. Those players in the pipeline have had... lot of time to develop but they traded them all you know except for except for one guy right Mm -hmm. so it's amazing i always get hague and roi confused because i think that they're both really good really tough really anonymous and 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 so important to what they did but it was one one player so you know do you do you you follow that model i don't know i don't i don't think you can i I think i think we're going to see this as a a unicorn kind of a construct Although I will say this, you know, if you want to explain what Columbus is doing this year, which nobody likes, they're trying to get yep. hard to play against NHLers in the lineup, and they're trading futures, and nobody thinks that's a good idea. But may, you know, maybe maybe they're the first team that's trying to follow that Vegas model because it worked. It's a and copycat they, league. Yeah, right? and, and, and and yeah, and 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 they they were really good in all four series. They were really good in all four series.
2: I think so. the, st- the the thing that's the anomaly that's going to jump out for me, because I think it's going to trip up a lot of people for a long time, Jonathan Quick, three Stanley Cup rings.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I mean, he was, a you know, obviously a spare part and a, and a cheerleader and, and someone mm-hmm. that, you know, that helped, you know, with the uh tone i guess of, of uh, and the composure in, in in the dressing room but but i mean he's a hall of famer. you know oh yeah he yeah, was yeah, yeah. he was he was so critical in those two kings teams and he's so competitive um but yeah vegas's goalie uh tandem next year this is it going to be the two local kids thompson and hill you know brossois walks and he's a backup there's going to be a demand for backup goaltenders this yes, year. yes there will be you know uh, brossois will get a job he'll get a contract um the, probably the best uh You know, candidate in Calgary to to get something meaningful in return to Dan Vladar. I mean, if you're putting Dustin Wolf in the lineup and and if Markstrom is is going to be your 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 starter again, which I think he is, the the number of teams that need what Dan Vladar can bring to the mix is high, and that Mm -hmm. will create hopefully a bidding war, and and we'll we'll see what he gets. But I but those types of guys, you know, especially the way the playoffs were this year, where you know you just don't ride that one guy anymore. You need to have somebody that can come in there and play and win. And um, so so I think that'll, that'll be interesting. But I, I predict it'll be Hill and and, uh, and Logan Thompson, right? Yeah. In Golden Vegas. Why not? It yeah. probably won't cost quick, you quick, much. Yeah, quick retires or, you know, finds a place where he can, you know, play for yep. as the backup. I don't know if Robin Leonard will ever play again. And Francois okay. will, you know, have to find, uh, you know, a home somewhere else.
2: I appreciate this. This was fun. Um, when we speak next, we will be just about on the cusp of, of july 1st but i suspect a lot, uh, to your
1: point i think the rosters will have begun changing by then yeah well we'll be through the draft uh, yeah. i'll i'll be back in calgary I, I am going to nashville okay and uh and then yeah and then then you know and then right next day is uh, is july 1st and on to that so yeah I, I you know this is fun as a writer but um but uh sorry ron no it's all good brother um, yeah, as a writer, it's really fun, but, uh, but there is a part of me that wants things to settle down a little bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to Vegas and you want things to settle down, watch out. Cause the barn burner boys are there. Okay. all right. So well, be, be aware you're forewarned. Okay. Nashville. You're talking about right? or Nashville. Sorry. Yes. Nashville yeah. boomer yeah, okay. and Ryan and those guys will be there. Well,
1: i'll I'll be steering a wide path around that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, as you should, as you should. Thank you, sir. <sighs> okay, thanks, Rob. There you go.
2: Eric Dehatchek, kind enough to join us. Courtesy, Well, he's from The Athletic and courtesy of Ski Cellar Snowboard. Snowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Opened their doors back in 1946, and they have four sets of doors to open, but only one is open in the summertime, and that's their McLeod Trail location by Chinook Center. Not just skis and snowboards. They've got clothing. They've got uh, snow skating. They've got it all. And as I say all the time, beautiful weather right now, go dream. If you're if you're one of those people that takes off to the mountains every winter, go dream. Do yourself a favor. Go see what's there. Check it out. Uh, it's Ski Cellar Snowboard and skisellersnowboard.com. <clears throat> Uh Down to the final mile for us. Oh, we haven't done this. Uh, live from the 55 um, is the new podcast from Danny Austin. It's our CFL Calgary Stampeder-centric podcast uh these stamps in action last night in in ottawa winning 26 15 i won't lie to you found this one hard to watch found this one hard to watch um hopefully and i think part of that is you know the bull the you know the bull and the rider both get marked the rider was okay the bull was no good um ottawa's terrible and look like they're going to be terrible all year long uh now Calgary comes home. I believe they play Saskatchewan. Um, big weekend in the, the CFL. Winnipeg in Saskatchewan tonight. Edmonton in BC tomorrow night. And we end up with Hamilton and Toronto on Sunday. So just wanted to get you caught up on that. All right. Time for our final mile. Uh, earlier in the week, the Denver uh, Nuggets won the NBA title. The Denver Nuggets won the NBA, their first NBA, the Larry, uh, Larry Brown Trophy, I believe. Um, anyway, um, no. Larry O'Brien. Larry O'Brien. Larry Larry Brown's the coach. Larry O'Brien, thank you. The Larry O'Brien trophy. Um, Anyway, afterwards, you get the the post-game scrums and the interviews and and everything. There was this piece of gold, absolute gold from the Joker. Uh, Djokovic was talking, and I know he's polarizing for some NBA fans, but for me, just stick this clip right into my vein. You want to run it for me? Yeah
3: you you
1: need if you want to be a successful you need a couple of years you need to you need to be a bad then you need to be the
3: good and then you need to figure then you need to when you're good you need to fail um, and then when you fail you're gonna figure it out you know I think the experience is something that is not what happened to you is what you're gonna do with that with happen what happened to you you know and uh, yes Jamal was injured yes we, we lose the first round or second round in the playoff I don't even remember who even, who remembers uh, but there is a process that you need to
1: you need to. There is a steps that you need to fill, and it's it's a it's not a, it's not a there is no shortcuts. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a journey,
3: and uh, I'm glad that I'm part of this journey.
2: It's a journey. You got to fail. Last year, Jamal Murray was injured. They blew out in the first round. As he said, you get bad, you get good, you fail, and I just I I love it. I, I, I want to reinforce it. I want to scream it from the rooftops. I say it all the time. I am a product of failure. Um, you know, there was a great, well, I think it was this clip actually, um, you know, that I retweeted. We we spend so much time seeking perfection in this world when really um, we ought to be on the other end of the spectrum, allowing our kids to fail, teaching them how to fail, teaching them how to get better after failure. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a great reality, but when you have a champion and we have somebody, you know, has the world's stage at his, as feet, like, you know, Djokovic did. And that for him to say that, I just thought it was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly powerful. And the last one, and I, I mentioned it with uh, Pete, um, tough week for us. Uh, and when I say us, I guess I'm, I'm meaning the sports media, um, six radio stations closed, um, AM stations went away. Um. And one of them was uh, in this province, T- uh, team 1260. Um, I had just left Edmonton when the team started. Um, I have a great deal of respect. What uh, Dave Jamison, who's a program director for a long time with Jason Greger, with Dustin Nielsen, Jason Strudwick, there was some real talent. Um, I believe actually some of the guys from Oilers nation uh, probably at touch base. And it was part of the sports ecosystem. Um, it's, it's the reality, I guess, that we're dealing with, um, in the media business. And, and this isn't a woe is the media. Um, but it is a cautionary tale. Let, let's, let's call it for what it is here. Bell media is not losing money. Bell media is not making enough money in their eyes. These may have been money losing ventures, I suppose, but overall they're still making money. Um, I feel like if my dad were alive, he'd he'd whack me in the back of the head and call me a communist. Because every time you start talking about the evils of money, uh, there's a whole bunch of people that, you can't say that. You can't say You socialist. You can't say that. Um, I I like a good paycheck as much as the next guy. I, I would like to be financially secure as much as the next person. I get that. But that's not what this is anymore. We have a really, really, really dangerous situation building here. The other part of the bell cuts away from my friends and colleagues and things like that people i didn't know were the news parts and i'm really really concerned about um the lack of news news coverage i'm not talking about editorials i'm not talking about opinions i'm talking about just the news the facts the story here it is you interpret it you read it you take what you need there was an absolute tragedy, which we addressed off the top of this program today. And I texted somebody and they said, what are you talking about? Almost 24 hours later. And I said, you haven't heard. And there's no more newspaper at your door. There's no more dinnertime news. There's, there is, but nobody's really watching it like we used to. It's dangerous. It is dangerous. And this isn't me shaking my fist at the cloud and telling the snowflake to get off my lawn. We need to think a little bit about how we are consuming our media. It goes all the way back to when we attached the monetary value and, and and started doing ratings on newscasts and saying, "Well, people are tuning out for this. They shouldn't be entertainment products, but they have. They've been turned into entertainment products. They're um, they're treated like entertainment products." Uh, what we're learning is they are really a connection to our community, and. Yes, we love our entertainment and yes, we love our celebrities and we love our shouting and we love our yelling, but we also need our media. Uh, And I know it's not a popular thing to say, but maybe in some cases we do need um, some government intervention to come in and make sure that we consistently have access to media. I understand the Internet. I get that. Uh, But it's given rise to false narratives. It's given rise to conspiracy theory. It's given rise to all of these things. But what it has done is eroded the news that we need. Um, Again, God bless Bell. God bless Rogers. um, But they're not doing anybody any favors. Um, But they're also reacting to a world market, a global economy, all of those things. This is a sports show. I don't want to end it on a downer. I will say this tip of the hat to all of those guys that did yeoman work in Ottawa and, and everywhere else in Edmonton on the TSN flagships. Am I worried about the uh, the station? Yeah I am I, I can I'm concerned that AM radio is going away I'm, I'm concerned and hey, it's not supported, it's not supported. I understand all that but we we need our local information so hopefully we can be a little bit of that uh, on a good day. Thanks to our outstanding producer, Jack. Thanks to Peter Marr. Thanks to Eric DeHatchek, And of course, thanks to you for spending your time with us today. Uh, it is uh, Danny Austin and Cami Kepke coming up on Monday. I'll be back with you next Wednesday. The Barnburner crew will be in Nashville next week for the draft. So D- Dean, Ryan, is Rhett going to? I don't know.
1: I don't think Rhett knows what he's is doing. He's Rhett across
2: the border yet?
0: So, so. Is he still being
2: held? He went across to okay. Canada to get a hockey stick. Yeah. But then he didn't end up getting the stick and then he went back. So. But he's across the border. He's back safe in the United he's States? in the United States okay. safe. Okay. That's the only thing. I don't want anybody uh, going home this weekend concerned about the whereabouts and the safety of one Rhett Warner. Uh, if you can, a couple of uh, Calgary Surge games this weekend. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, Take care of each other. Oh, don't forget, tomorrow's all sport one uh, day for kids. So you'll see us out in the community, uh, hopefully hopefully finding a new favorite sport for a bunch of kids 7 to 17. That's going to be pretty cool tomorrow. Have a great weekend, everybody.